Pornhub. Pornhub. The Pornhub Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Pornhub Podcast. Today's guest is none other than author, poet, rapper, motivational speaker. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> is that like a... I official guess. term yeah humble the poet thanks for joining us thank you so much for having me <laughs> so did i how correct is that intro it's you're a hard person to intro yeah i think the new term is slashy where everyone's like i'm a rapper slash author slash i think at this point i'm i just want to be i'm a creative i'm an artist okay and stuff's working like when let's say like your parents friends ask you what you do for a living what do you say? Oh, it's it's always changing different things, especially yeah. if I'm saying it into in Punjabi. So I probably, you know, so sometimes my parents will say like, oh, he's a poet. Okay. And everyone was like, how does a poet make any money? <laughs> um, and sometimes, and I think now that the book's doing well, I think this, for my parents to brag, that's probably the thing they brag about the most. Like, yeah. they, they don't talk about like the, like the filmmaking or they don't talk about like the clothing I design or anything like that. So um, Probably, they probably say author now. It's yeah. probably the easiest thing for like mainstream people to get. But I'm an artist. I'm a creative. I, I, I put words together. That's what I really do. Right. Yeah. Um, my, I think my parents do the same thing. I think, you know, being from a porn background, I never did anything my parents could ever mention to any of their friends. Yeah. And now that I have done books, they're like, oh, yeah, she's a writer. She's a writer. But then it ends there because they're like, oh, what's her book called or whatever? And they're like, uh, no, like, let's not even go there. <laughs> it's an autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you are somewhat of like an influencer, too, right? Yeah, I guess by I mean, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of Instagram followers and people mm -hmm. have paid me to yeah. use my influence to right. like, sell products. But it's like a funny thing because you think the word influencer and I guess it's a very different picture. Yeah. It's like a girl in a bikini selling yeah. laxative tea. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So for me, my, my cleavage is my beard. <laughs> well, I mean, beards are very in right now. You know what? I, I, I want to shout out hipsters for, for killing racism. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. One day people would scream terrorist at me and the next day... People would point at me and call me a hipster or millennial. And I was just like, when did this all change? <laughs> so it's very like, it's like before BH and AH for you. Before hipster and after hipster. Exactly. And now people walk up to me like, how long have you been working on that? I'm like, working on what? And like, your beard. And I was like, how do you work on a beard? You just leave your face alone. <laughs> no, but these hipsters really do work on their beard. Yeah. Like, there's oils and combs and... It's funny because I, I have a majority of my 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 readers and my followers are females, like 70 percent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I get a lot of uh, offers to do beard oil. And I'm just like, there's no one's going to buy it unless these girls buy the beard oil for their men. No one's going to buy this beard oil. Like, I'm majority females. I actually just had a call about that yesterday. Right. Yeah. I was like, no, we can do yoga pants. We can't, we can't do beard oils. <laughs> but you know what? 30 percent of your fan base is still that's still a lot of people. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. I mean, also, maybe you shouldn't say, aren't you like hindering yourself by telling people that? I mean, no, I mean, I get, I mean, I used to be a school teacher and even when I used to, you know, I used to be involved in a boys book club because we understood that like boys don't read. And for right. me, it was when I first started out as music, my audience was a bunch of young guys who also wanted to be rappers and coming to my shows. And then just slowly after I wrote the book, I was still doing hip hop shows. It's just the audience turned all female and then just females holding books thinking that they're going to be at like a poetry recital. But that's kind of cool. It's really cool. And it's just changed the dynamic of everything for me. So I think for me now, 
it's probably been the last two years where I'm like really trying to embrace it and celebrate it. And, right. And I feel like in general, females are a little bit more open-minded. To and, and it's like you said, like, I, I know that, I mean, you know, not to like stereotype or generalize or anything, but like, I do know that women buy books like that. Yeah. And that's not a stereotype. Yeah. That, that can even just go back. You're to right. The fact it's that a st- statistic. It's a statistic. And it's even in school, like m- most books, books are designed for like, visual and uh, auditory learners and that's more often females than males oh interesting so if you want to get boys more interested in reading generally you know graphic novels is what works for them and the problem is people don't consider graphic novels as academic right so a boy would rather read a comic book than read harry potter and that's that's a statistic as well so i used to run a boys book club right we used to create books uh, we used to choose out books just for boys. And I'm trying to actually start one now up in Canada. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that. I read that you used to be an elementary school teacher. Yeah. What grade were you I taught the third grade. Okay. Yeah. And how does one make that transition from teacher to Whatever. slashy? <laughs> to slashy. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that being a teacher was the first time I had a life that didn't involve homework and schoolwork, like even though I worked in a school. Mm-hmm. So as an adult, it's like the school bell rings and you don't have to go home and do your homework. And it was like, what do adults do? Like, you know, adults go have fun, eat dinner, date and do all this other stuff that, you know, I was being exposed to for the first time outside of like university life. Mm-hmm. So I took uh, another job as a tutor. And I was tutoring high school kids in math. So even though I was teaching younger kids during the day, I would tutor high school kids in math. And that really kind of put me on to, like, most of the kids I was tutoring, they weren't having academic issues. They were having life issues, trouble, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So our sessions of me teaching them, you know, how to do calculus was really about, like, how to really make make sure you know what you're doing in high school and get ready for university and kind of learning how to speak to them. And then once... Uh, sitting with a bunch of friends who were all, you know, professionals. They're talking about challenges that we had in our community, the South Asian community. And one of them said, you know, these kids don't listen. And I think that's when the teacher in me was like, no, 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 they'll listen if you know how to speak to them. Okay. You can't speak down to kids. And that was the first time I was like, hey, I've, I've always been writing poetry and short stories and mainly just doing it to, like, impress girls or do <laughs> stuff like that. So then that's the first time I, <clears throat> I worked on some poetry about what was happening in my community. We had, you know, we had uh, drug issues. We had, a, we had a lot of truck drivers in our community that were going from Toronto down south to the States, having unprotected sex with, you know, sex workers, sometimes contracting HIV, bringing it back up and okay. infecting their families, including the children. And these things weren't spoken about. Right. So I kind of made a song talking about it without judgment, just kind of shedding light to the situation. Uh, we have a lot of uh, um, gang activity. So I kind of highlighted folks who got murdered. And that kind of was a story that nobody in our community had ever heard. And all of a sudden, and I, I made a lyrics video. Like I, I, I rapped a song, made a lyrics video. Meaning you just posted the lyrics as the video. Yeah, exactly. And this is like 2008, 2007. And people started recognizing me based off my voice. Right. And I I didn't have any name, Humble Reporter or anything. And then like, I'd go to a wedding and somebody would walk up to me and be like, I heard your song. Thank you so much. Hey, you listed that guy who got murdered. That, That was my brother. Anytime we've ever seen his name in print, it's always been something negative. You're the first person to humanize him. And I had no idea I had that impact because I didn't even show my face. Right. And people had just kind of figured it out. And then after that, I kind of took it a little bit more serious. And then, um, and, and at the same time, going to like 
uh, spoken word slams and trying again trying to impress girls, trying to right. do different things. You know, as as every artist should do, and. <laughs> Um, it took a life of its own, and then I was, but I never took it serious. I was like, I'm gonna do this. This is what I will do after work. I will, you know. And I think your I, hobby, my hobby, and also, and it was Oprah. I actually saw it on Oprah. Somebody said, if you don't scratch your creative itch, it can actually cause ulcers. There's okay. A, there's a stress in people who aren't expressing themselves on a creative level. So I was like, hey, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna work during the day, and then be a creative at night. Okay. And slowly over time it took a life of its own and i had always told myself i'm never going to try to do this full time because every artist i met at this point was like you know they weren't really living the best you know they were struggling financially um they didn't have lifestyles that i really admired in any way shape or form so i was like all right i'm making good teacher money uh, i get paid in the summers so during the summer i can just be this free artist you know do whatever i oh, want teachers get paid in the summer in toronto in canada we do so they just stretch your paycheck all, all year yeah. so i mean just another way Canada is better than the U.S. I oh, guess. you said it, not me. No, I mean, come on. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, no, it was cool. So this all summer, I would I would have a paycheck coming in every two weeks, but I wouldn't have to really be doing anything. Right. And I remember in the early years, my parents hated that. Like, they really thought I was, like, just being a bum. But yeah. I was like, even, even during Christmas, I get two weeks off in Christmas with a paycheck. Well, what did they expect you to do in that They're time just like, off? Well, why, yeah, what, like, why are you waking up at 2 p.m.? Like, I'm like, and like, I'm like, why, what do I need to be why doing? Not? Yeah, I got to go back to work in January. Yeah. <laughs> So one summer, I actually ended up spending the summer in uh, a small city uh, outside of San Francisco called Daly City mm -hmm. and um, with a rapper who was a full-time rapper. And I slept on his floor in the one bedroom he rented out. And I just watched him every day, like rap on street corners, rap at small shows, collecting 50 bucks, 20 bucks and paying his rent that way. Right. And I fell in love with it for the first time. I think, you know, I had shed my pretentiousness and judgmentalness towards artists. Right. And I was like, this is what Wait, I was he essentially doing. like panhandling? He it was a, it was a combination kind of? of panhandling and also just trying to like be like, oh, there's a hip hop show here. Hey guys, yo, I'll give you guys a, a half an hour set. Right. Just give me fifty bucks. And he, he was probably only paying like two, three hundred dollars a month in rent, but like this is how he spent his time. Well, you know what? I believe it because actually I used to know someone who played the drums in the subway in New York. Yeah. And I, I remember the year that I met him, he was like, Holy shit, I made so much this year that I had to pay taxes. Yeah. And he, you know, had his own apartment in Harlem, and I mean, he was making it happen. But, so. and, and he's still working for it. It's just, you know, it's yeah. an unconventional way. And so that was the first time I fell in love with it. And then come the next September, I couldn't shake the feeling. And then um, I had met a producer who was like, hey, I can get you a record deal. And even before he showed me paperwork, I quit my job. Right. And, like, moved out of my parents' house. <laughs> that's all you needed. That's all I needed to hear. And then, it was uh, like, meanwhile, it was just some rando. <laughs> it, it, well, it actually turned out to be some oh, rando. Okay. So it turned out where... And I had I owned a condo at the time. Mm -hmm. I made a responsible adult purchase when I first started working. I kicked my tenant out, moved into the condo, yeah. and now I'm just making music, waiting for this big check to arrive. Also, that already speaks to like how much teachers are making in Canada. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I realized you guys they're they're severely underpaid. Yeah, oh yeah. A, a teacher could you know if if they if they're I, I feel like maybe ten years they can get into the six figures. Teachers should be paid like. I feel like instead of athletes or <laughs> that's an interesting, that's an interesting conversation. I, I kind of do understand why athletes get paid more. I feel like if you can do something that other people can't do, you'll end up getting paid more Yeah. in any job. I mean, yeah, I get that. And they should get paid more than other people, but also maybe not that much. I feel like 
Do- like the, don't you think the difference in pay between like a basketball player and a teacher is like a little bit too wide? But I, 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 I see that, but I also kind of look at it like, you know, let's take LeBron James versus right. the greatest teacher in the world. There's still only going to be two to three people on the planet who can do what LeBron James does. Right. There'll still be probably thousands of people who can do what that teacher does. And I think that's the, that's the economics of it. And, and this is me looking at it coldly. This is not me looking at right. it from my opinion. Like, I kind of understand that, like, brain surgeons get paid a lot because only a handful of people right. can be brain surgeons. Um, but again, I feel like everyone deserves a living wage. I think... But the value of a teacher is so much greater, no? The, the value of a teacher is greater. And I, I do believe they have to create a, c- a circumstance where people who are actually good teachers... Right. ...do it. And I think... And they want to do it. They want to do it. And, yeah. and that's when I realized. I was like, hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a decent teacher, but... You know, my reputation at the school was he's a nice guy, but he doesn't go out of his way to, to do any additional work. He'll help anybody who asks for help, but he's not like a keener. He's not, right. you know, he's not that take things to the next level kind of teacher. And I really wasn't. That's I, you know. really shocking to hear someone talk about themselves that way. Though. But I think the reason it, it popped out to me, because at the same time in the evening, I was an artist. Right. And my reputation was this guy's the hardest worker in the room. Don't waste right. his time. He's very intense. And I was like, oh, I always thought I was a lazy person. I'm not humble. The poet isn't lazy. Mr. Singh, the teacher, he's very lazy. Right. Maybe it has something to do with what I'm doing. Right. And I think that's why it was important to see that distinction. And there were teachers who were like, being in the classroom, I would do this for free. Right. I love it here. I know people like that. They love teaching. They love being around the kids. And if they could do it for free, they would. Yeah. You know what? That's actually so, so, so true. Like, I... Even myself, like, I am a very lazy person, but when it comes to, like, porn or, like, the things I love doing, like, I would do it for minimum wage, and I don't care that I'm on set for 24 hours some days. You probably don't even keep track of time. No, I don't. And, like, if I have to wake up at, you know, 4 a.m. to go work out so I can be in shape for my shoot, like, it's okay. And and think about that. I think everybody has that in them they just don't discover what it is right you know so for me it's it's it's, you know putting words together for you it was porn for somebody else it could literally be cleaning for other people it could be rocket science they just have to you know dip their toe into a bunch of different things until they find out what they like but how do you find that thing like i i find that that's kind of i don't know if it's just like my generation specifically but i know a lot of people who don't know what they want to do with their lives yeah like, how do you find that thing? I think the important question we got to ask, and probably we have to ask kids, instead of saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. We should say, what problem do you want to solve? Mm. Um, because I think what it is, is a lot of people are chasing a life that is without problems. You know, mm-hmm. I'll live happily ever after. But the, the reality is we will have problems until we die. No matter who we are, no matter how much money we have, no matter how much status we have, there will always be a, a, a problem waiting around the horizon life life is obstacles you know like right. there, there's no such thing as a happily ever after and then you just live out the next 30 years of your life boringly everybody has challenges whatever right. they mean and i think when people think about what problem they actually are excited to solve or what type of lifestyle involves a lot of challenges that they're willing to embrace so for example working out is hard mm-hmm. um you know I've, I've i've never acted in porn but i can imagine you know, it could be long, it could be tedious, it could be physically demanding, and, you know, it may not be pleasurable all the time, but 
if you're like, hey, I'm willing to go through all of this because this is what I appreciate doing, the same way an athlete's willing to beat up their body to do something, mm. the same way I'm willing to rack my brain to just get those last pages out. I think, you know, the same way I watch people, you know, building community gardens, the same way you watch people, uh, you know, um, I, I saw a man who retired and he built an entire house out of stone, like mm-hmm. by hand, like who wants to do that? Just some certain people have certain interests. Right. And it's about figuring that out. I watch my nephew right now. He's playing basketball and he just stands outside taking the exact same shot hundreds of times over and over. Nobody's there telling him to do it. And he's only 14. Right. But he, he's, he's already obsessed with it. And the boring, unsexy work that everybody's job has, even including porn. Uh-huh. If you're still excited to do all that stuff, then I feel like you've found it. So find the thing that the shitty part is worth it. Shitty part is worth it or find the things where the shitty part doesn't even feel shitty. Like my, oh. my accountant, when he found, when I was published independently, my accountant's like, oh shit, you got money coming in from uh, the UK. You got money coming in in euros. You got money coming in US dollars and Canadian dollars. He goes, I've never had a client with so many different currencies. And he smiled. He's like, I'm excited <laughs> to tackle this. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, this sounds like a nightmare. It sounds like a nightmare. I want to curl up in a ball when I think about it. Right. You're, you're such a nerd, but I'm happy I found you and that you like doing this stuff. Right. So I think it's, it's that kind of idea. And, and again, like I've seen it with people who love to clean. They don't yeah. have, like they That's love, me. yeah, they look forward to yeah. cleaning. They get, they get a little horny over the new Dyson vacuum. And uh, literally, I just asked for that for Mother's Day. There you go. Like I'm the new V11. It's beautiful (laughs) see there you go and these are things that other people are like what the hell and i think from that idea so i think it's oftentimes people like i don't know what my passion is and i think maybe we should a passion is what we want to do Mm -hmm. i think we should abandon our passions and we should explore our obsessions and we may or may not be able to have chosen our obsessions right because when when people who are living their obsessions they could probably trace back to like three four five years old where they're like whoa I was doing this back then. Totally. Like I was writing stories since I was a kid and I loved reading them in front of the class and sharing them. And it may, and it may not be about, oh, you know, well, how, you know, maybe it's about performing. Maybe it's about training. Maybe it's about, you know, uh, developing certain skills. Maybe it's about being told you can't do something. So wanting to do it to mm-hmm. kind of prove people wrong. But I think it's about really getting to know who we are mm-hmm. and exploring it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, I know somebody who's also working as a teacher right now and um but they're also now getting into fashion but what we realized very quickly was they're becoming a stylist because what they really love is the educational part teaching people how to make themselves feel good in their clothes so saying hey i can come to your closet and without you having to go shopping i can find you 10 new outfits and then i can also train you how to create new outfits right and how to think like hey this scarf can go with everything and that's really what's tickling their fancy is this being able to empower other people and feeling significant by being able to give that power. Right. And they get that through teaching eight-year-olds and they get that through teaching adults. Do you think that every obsession has like a way to monetize it though? Like I could imagine like what if, for example, like a poet, it's hard to monetize being a poet. I mean like. It's hard. Well, I mean, so for example, I did an Apple commercial two years ago mm -hmm. where I just did spoken word Mm -hmm. and I got, you know, enough money to live for like three years off mm-hmm. of that commercial. Um, that's an example, but I think it's, um, art is in the service industry. So we just have to recognize that it seems like people don't value art, but we, 
we all depend on art. You know how so? When you have a long day at work and you drive home, you turn on the radio. Right. You know, you, then you go home, you turn on Netflix. You're consuming art. Mm -hmm. Art's what, art, art is what keeps you from blowing your brains out after a long mm -hmm. day. Getting involved in these different arts is a way to monetize it. You're, you're creating a service for other people. Mm -hmm. um, that's, as we talked about earlier before the podcast went on, was, you know, me going to L.A. to learn how to monetize my art. Mm -hmm. um, and learning 10 different ways to do it. So now, if you're a poet, you can write poetry books. I mean, Rupi Kaur has a, has a poetry book, Milk and Honey. So, mm -hmm. you know, she's outselling Dan Brown and Stephen King right now. Is she really? Yeah. She's that's one of the highest selling books in history now. Whoa. And, um, you know, she she just tapped into it perfectly. The timing was perfect. You know, her, her each 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 page of her her book is easily Instagrammable and all of that. So she sold, I think, two to three million copies of the book. Right. You know, so that's almost forever money. And now she's selling prints. And now, you know, I know uh, I have another friend, Mustafa, the poet. He has his poetry written on uh, Valentino's clothing. Wow. And um, I know one of the actresses, uh, Khaleesi from Game of Thrones, she wore one of his dresses to the premiere. Whoa. So, you know, and then he also writes for other artists. So there's so creative I guess in ways any, to do it. Yeah, in any field or whatever, like there's different, there's a lot of different avenues. I mean, even in porn, like we feature dance, you know, like I, I guess in this day and age, everyone is just their own brand anyway. So there's that. And I think it's also the idea that if you can solve a problem, take support out of it often artists look at it like hey i came out with a new album support me i think you gotta look at it from another perspective which is if you can solve a problem for other people mm -hmm. um you will be able to make a living hmm. that's every every successful business is somebody who's been able to solve a problem some of these businesses created the problem You're before the they solved it the second person who's told me that so yeah. um mickey agarwal who is the owner of Tushy. She, okay. It's a bidet company. She said the same thing. She was like, I wanted to create a product and I thought, what's the problem in my life? How do I solve it? Yeah. And in America, we don't really use bidets. Yeah. And she started a bidet company. Yeah. So I guess two successful people have told me that so far. Completely. So I and I also something. feel like even, you know, let's say, you know, you're working in, in, in the industry and within the industry, you start in front of the camera, but you gain a lot of experience about what's happening behind the camera. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you start to notice problems or issues that aren't being addressed when you're working there, now you can go ahead and solve those, whether it's, you know, better ways to film, whether it's more efficient ways to film, whether it's sound techniques or what, what have you, whatever mm -hmm. it is in the industry, you know. And it was the same thing with me. I used to shoot my own music videos and mm -hmm. with handheld cameras. And then as I got better... Um, people hired me to shoot their music videos. Right. And it's the same way where I know a lot of big porn production companies are owned by former porn stars. Totally, yeah. So, and, and they're solving a certain problem and they're creating a service and they're adding value to a customer base. Right. You know, and I think from that perspective, it doesn't matter if it's porn, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, falafels on the street corner. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, if it's a hot day at Coney Island, these little kids can sell you a bottle of water for 10 bucks. You know who you remind me of for some reason right now? You, there's a little kid. There's a, a viral video where this little, little kid is just like, he, he's like training other kids his age. Like, like a little motivational talking? Yeah. He's a little black kid? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen this kid. So, <laughs> I mean, was that you? No, no, not at all. I was the... Uh, Take take the path of least resistance, guy. So okay. it's like, go to school, get a good job, find a girl, get married, have kids, keep everybody happy, stay below the radar, 
and and just like live a normal life kind of thing. Live a normal life because because nobody nobody who who does anything special looks like you. Oh, yeah. okay. So like if I'm watching, like I remember specifically Home Improvement, you know, yeah. and 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 one of those kids became like a big Disney star, and he was the voice of Simba, and just being like, look, I don't, you know, and then seeing some other Disney shows, and none of the kids looked like me, and none of the kids who were singing on you know on tv or so you think you can dance none of them yeah. ever look like me they, does it give you so much gratification to know like there's a kid out there watching you right now like as we speak probably yeah. and now he doesn't think that it does a lot not so first in the beginning people my age celebrate me as like the first guy with a beard and turban to do xyz right i don't I, I like the idea that when my nephew looks at me, he doesn't think that. He's just like, oh, this stuff is normal. It's right. So one of it's my nephews, given. yeah. So he's like, hey, I'm going to be a, a professional soccer player uh, for Team England. Right. His father's British, so it's possible. And there's no guys with beards and turbans playing professional soccer. But he, there's not even an inch of doubt in his head because at least right. he sees his uncle with an unconventional job doing well and, you know, being able to do cool stuff. And, and I recently actually posted about this on my Instagram because I got to sit courtside for the NBA All-Star mm -hmm. game. And it was the same thing, being like, hey, I never grew up seeing any of this. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, my Instagram blowing up, people being like, hey, is that, you know, we're called Sardars or Sings. Is that a Sing courtside? Who's that guy? And just, you know, giving people a sense of pride, but also normalizing it for this next generation. That's, yeah, that's even way cooler than the first i mean even with like obama our generation saw the first black president yeah. i mean it the cooler thing will be when like it's not even a thing yeah well for my nephew trump was their first white president oh god you know it's yeah because they grew up you know for eight right. years with obama and you're right i think jay-z did a, a, a music video called family feud and the premise of that video is a world where there are no more firsts for blacks mm -hmm. so now it's, it takes place like 100 years in the future, and there's no more first that a black person can accomplish. Right. And now they're just, they're embedded in leadership, they're embedded in the army, they're embedded in everything that they want to be embedded in, and now kind of progress can start. And I feel like all of us who are children of immigrants or grandchildren of immigrants have that little chip on our shoulders to kind of be that. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have to just be cognizant, like, are we just chasing validation of mainstream white folks? Right. You know what I mean? And it's about finding that balance. So... For me, in the beginning, I just, none of this was possible. I'd be, you know, rapping songs in my head, trying to imagine what that felt like, but not seeing So when it. did when did that change for you? Like, when were you like, there are no other guys with turbans and beards out there yeah. doing this thing. I'm just going to assume that people who look like me don't do this. And then, like, when did that flip? Like, it, oh, it, I'm going to be the guy. It didn't. It oh. literally didn't. I just, so I started like doing Like, you made that video, and then you were that guy. Yeah. So like I I remember going being at a coffee shop with a friend and we were just out you know walking to town to meet girls and he was like yo there's a spoken word contest you should enter like you got some stuff memorized and right so I went and it was like maybe eight people in the whole coffee shop but I won yeah I, I won the competition and then obviously that brings girls saying hey I really like yeah. that poem you did and that's all the icebreaker you need to meet people so I got hooked on that and then. Slowly, I think people started seeing me and taking pride in that and supporting me and posting me on their Facebooks, being like, who is this guy doing stuff? And it Do grew. you think that, like, helps or hinders you? Um, like, because, I mean, on one hand, you are so original. Just, just by having the turban and the beard, yeah. you're already exotic. different from everyone else. Exotic. You're exo right, exotic. And, you know, it's the same thing with being Asian, yeah. I, I think, in entertainment at all. It's yeah. like... 
well, you're already going to stand out because you're Asian and you're yeah. doing something that not most a- Asians do, quote yeah. unquote. So like, do you think, does it help or hinder you? I mean, growing up, I thought it hindered me yeah. like before I got into the arts, right. you know, because all you want to do as a kid is fit in. Mm-hmm. And then you hit a certain point where like all you want to do is stand out. And I was like, oh shit, I already stand out. And what a lot of folks don't realize over here is I'm just as exotic back in India. So right. yeah, Punjabis, you know, first Punjabis, guys with turbans and beards, we represent 2% of India. We're, my, we're, we're heavy minorities out there. Okay. Plus, they know I'm not from there. When I walk the streets out there, the way I dress, the fact that I have tattoos, they know I'm not from yeah. there. So I'm just as the exotic. The way you carry yourself. The way I carry sure, myself, yeah. all of that. And um, so it's interesting. So it's, 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 and places where people, it's funny because like I was in the Bronx recently and, uh, you know, somebody out there was talking to me and it was a black dude. And he was just like, look, man, you're an invo- important voice for the culture. Because mm-hmm. he recognized that I was a hip hop artist just mm-hmm. by looking at me. And mm-hmm. that made me feel a sense of community. So yeah. I realized for me, if I have to represent anything, it's kind of like the, you know, I grew up in a challenging neighborhood in Toronto and hip hop was kind of my saving grace. And I look at it that way, but I'm not blind to the fact that, you know, it's a great time to prop up a guy who looks like me considering the climate considering what we want to push you know everybody's taking sides right now and and people who want to push diversity and inclusivity they're like hey is this guy's time to shine and i've actually had that i was at some private club in la it's like the club for people who who, who've graduated from soho house they go to that next one (laughs) and it was some bougie ass club where they put like stickers on my phone camera and like you know yeah 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 yeah. certain you know certain fancy people there and the, the person who hosted me he was trying to get his brother in and he was speaking to the owner and he said to the owner, hey, how come you guys won't give my brother membership? And the owner's like, because your brother's white over 35 and straight. And he goes, you know what? If your brother was white over five, 35 and gay, we probably still wouldn't let him in. Then he pointed to me and he's like, you want a membership? You can have it. And he's like, times are changing. And right. I'm just like, woohoo, reverse racism. <laughs> like, it's, it's, you know, it's I'll fantastic. I'll take it. I'll take it. Because I, I, I honestly, be- I knew that day would come. I thought it, it would happen past me right from you know maybe from my nephews and and how they would grow up and i'm just like it's funny how fast things are happening right now yeah it's weird it was real slow and as we said one day they called me terrorist the next day they called me hipster right it went really quick and i was like when did this change where was i during the transition moment was i like because toronto's super diverse and we you know we've had a lot of the issues that america is dealing with now we we address them over 20 years ago Mm -hmm. like to the point where I was even told when I did my Apple commercial it was about celebrating Canada and the three rules they told me was don't get stereotypical don't talk about like poutine and mounties and beavers Mm -hmm. don't take a shit on America because Canadians love to do that Mm -hmm. and third don't celebrate multiculturalism because we've been leaning on that for 20 years find something new to celebrate right and then what I realized was it was actually I went to a party and I saw three actual, uh, I'm going to say East Asian, because mm-hmm. I'm also Asian, so mm-hmm, three, mm-hmm. three East Asian gentlemen, and one was a hipster, one was in goth, and one was dressed as a skater. And I was like, out here, everybody's so comfortable with the way they were born, now they're able to explore who they want to be, their yeah. archetype. You know, if you want to be a punk rock, if you want to be a yuppie, if you want to be, you know, a metrosexual, whatever you want to be, you're right. free to be that. Because you've already gotten over that hurdle yeah no one nobody cares about what your ethnicity is and and in toronto most people kind of look at people of color everybody of color in toronto is a plus one 
You know, if you're, I'm, I'm, I'm born in Canada, but I'm plus one because my family's from Punjab. You know, most black folks out there from the West Indies, so you're a plus one. So all of us kind of look at ourselves as just children of immigrants, mm -hmm. and the narrative is the same. We, you know, we mo we know if we cross the line, our mom's gonna kick our ass. Right. We know what their everyone's expectation is to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. Yeah. That's all one job. Yeah. It's all the same. So we all kind of have that relationship already. So then it's really about like, well, who are you as an individual? Right. So now you know. It was, it was funny once I was here in uh, I was in Harlem this is about maybe five years ago and I was with another friend who was wearing a beard and turban and a guy walked up to him and he said are you from LA and he's like yeah I am he goes yeah you look like one of them LA guys and he walked away and we just thought it was hilarious that like that's what he judged him on like because he saw how tight his jeans was and the type of <laughs> shoes he wore and and I've gotten that too where it's just like people are like oh are you in music I was like yeah, yeah you look like you're in music and you one, do yeah <laughs> and a customs agent asked me once he goes what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm a writer. He's like, yeah, you look like a writer. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going to even be offended by this. Right. I, I, I appreciate that stereotype. Yes. I'm living up to that as opposed to you look like a terrorist. You look like you smell. Right. You look like you, you're going to sound like Apu. Right. And all these other racist things that we grew up hearing. So it's such an interesting time. It's also like you're being told that you look like things that you aspire to be more or you've been aspiring to be like. Exactly. So it's like, that's exactly. like, oh, you made it. Yeah. You, and you're like, you this look is, like that guy now. This is cool. And I, I appreciate that this is how people look at me. And uh, but I definitely saw how much of my childhood PTSD dealing with so much racism always uh -huh. had me like shuttered in. Um, I mean, one more uh, actually a Brooklyn story. This is like 2006. I was at a, a concert here in Brooklyn, and from across the room, there was this, this ginger white guy mm -hmm. looking at me. And when I was a kid, one of the, the kids that picked on me the most was this ginger kid. Okay. So this guy just reminded me triggered. of that. Triggered. Triggered. Yeah. And, I, and this is before the word triggered was a thing. <laughs> yeah. So I have no idea why I'm feeling anxiety right. around this guy staring at me. And he's like staring at me intensely, drinking on a beer bottle, and just looking sloppy. And I was like, shit. And then like five minutes later, he's like, halfway closer to me and then he just slowly progresses closer and I was like oh shit and I like clutch my keys in my hand thinking I'm gonna have to fight somebody then as soon as he goes up to me he goes hey man are you Punjabi and I was like yeah he goes I just spent four months living in Punjab whoa he goes I'm flying home and I'm just, I just have a one-day stop over here and I was so heartbroken that I had to leave and I come to this concert randomly and I see a Punjabi and I feel like I'm at home again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, holy shit. He was staring at me for the exact opposite reasons right. that he was. And the only racist in this equation was me. Right. Re again, reverse racism. Yeah, I was like, I'm assuming the white guy staring at me is going to say something bad when he just found a little piece of home. Yeah. And I was like, this really taught me about my own biases because I always felt like I was a victim of it. Yeah. Not realizing that I'm also a perpetrator of it. Right. So now it's just about having an open heart and open mind. Wow, that's a good story. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I mean, what triggers you triggers you though. Like, it's, and and it's also, about becoming you know, aware about why certain things trigger us because we yeah. don't realize that. Do as you do well. therapy? Uh, I wish I want to. Yeah. I, I I'm making the excuse that I travel a lot. Yeah. Um, you then, can Skype. I I Skype with my therapist now because I met her in L.A. when I lived out there, and okay. now I just. I love her so much. I still Skype with her, but yeah. Yeah, you, you writing this like book was therapy. therapy. Well, I think yeah. that's what writing this book ended up being. I think I'm not afraid to be honest with myself. Yeah. And I'm not afraid to to share that honesty with other people because I feel like we're all in the same boat. Right. So I think that's probably what happened with this book. Like this book came out of. Yeah, being vulnerable that, yeah. for sure, like opens up that door. I yeah. think of communication and just like relating to people on a whole other level and. Completely, and I think it's about. 
from, from what a friend told me who, who has recently just got into therapy, like therapy is not a solution to your problems. It's a mirror. Mm, it's a very mm-hmm. smart person helping you under, you know, asking you the right questions. Right. Navigating you to your yeah, deeper self. To your deeper self. So yeah. I think for a long time, I mean, so I mean, if weed counts as therapy. I guess you are kind of a therapist in a way, too. I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely attract people who are who are. Uh, having issues and they think mm-hmm. that I'm going to have the the empathy and the know-how to kind of help mm-hmm. them through their stuff which I'm definitely probably not prepared for and then obviously writing a book that's considered self-help makes people think that I'm a self-help guru and I can make all their problems go away. Do you away. not think you are? I'm definitely not. Why? No, I'm I am def- I, de- I don't want that reputation. I'm I'm somebody who puts words together very well. That okay. is my specific talent. I know I do that better than the average human being and I have I'm fortunate enough to think deeply about the dumb shit that I do and I was and I put that together in words and the moment I first shared that I just realized everyone's going through the same things that's really humble of you. well I don't even want to say it's humble I think it's it's because people have said to me like you know the next step after your book is a coaching session become a coach and I was like like the Tony Robbins thing like the Tony Robbins thing I was like man you if you look at my dms like that's all people want and yeah but when I read their problems it's, I'm reading a 17 year old's problem about like Today, my friend didn't say hi to me properly. Like, mm-hmm. does that mean they hate me? And and I ended up rolling my eyes. And it's because mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, you'll, you're going to figure this out. I'm not going to deny you of the challenges and struggles that you're mm-hmm. going through. Um, so I think for me, I'd rather people look at me as that, that nerd in class that likes to share his notes. Because he actually likes what he learned. And he's like, hey, guys, look <laughs> what I learned today. You guys want to copy off me? By all means, I love this but shit. But do you find, I mean, like, whether you like it or not, you are, I think, seen as kind of a self-help guru, right? Like, that's... I mean, people are, I assumed you kind of were. I mean, I'm sure there are other people out there who do. No, a lot of people do, especially, especially with with this book on learning, because I don't spend, I spend a lot of time sharing the lessons Uh and not enough time sharing the mistakes that I made to get to those lessons. But do you feel like, is there like a lot of pressure on you to do always the right thing? No, 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 I've, 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 uh, I'll I I took a lot of, or even to represent your culture. In the beginning, yeah, yeah, but I think I, I thought deeply about that as well. So most of the resistance I've ever gotten, mm-hmm. I think when I first started, the back of my brain was like, you know, people are going to leave racist comments on your videos. Mm-hmm. People are going to say racist things about you. And probably in the first couple of years, 90% of all the resistance, I don't want to say hate, but the resistance that I received was from within my culture. Within? Yeah. So they were like, how dare you, you know. Represent us like this. Yeah. Like you're swearing in your music. We don't swear. You shouldn't represent it like that. You got girls in your music. Mm -hmm. We're not supposed to be depicted as lustful people. Mm -hmm. You're doing X, Y, Z. And in the beginning, in the early stages, you know, that really made me want to feel combative towards it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, how dare you guys tell me how to live? But then I kind of really started looking at it with compassion and being like, well, they're actually expressing fear Mm -hmm. what they're what they're really doing is they see the power of my platform and they're afraid of the message i'm going to put out there because they put out a different message what what is the message i mean or or like yeah what is the message well the message i'm putting out there i just want people to continue But what do they think the message is supposed to be or like what are oh i think the message that they think i think they think that it's my job to be like pr for what a guy with a beard and turban is supposed to be like and for them, they have a very. Uh, what what can can I ask questions about the yeah, turban? 100%. Like I, I don't know yeah, yeah, yeah. anything about um it, but like, what does it mean? 
Okay, so like, is it? Are you not allowed to show the hair in the religion, or no, like, no, no. is it? Okay, so yeah, so I'll break it down, and I'm gonna break it down in a way that is n- it's not gonna be break it, broken down by the average person who is of sick heritage. Okay, so I'm sick. Sick is the heritage. S i k h. Right. Sick means student. Okay. Right. Sick heritage was started by a, a, a guru. Gu, guru gu means dark. Ru means light. So when you hear the word guru, you're just thinking about somebody who takes you from dark to light. Okay. Okay. So now, tomorrow, if you teach me how to edit soft, edit sound using software, you're my guru. You're teaching, you're enlightening me on how to do something. Okay. So we don't worship anybody. We have gurus who are philosophers who brought out ideas. And they started in North India and during a time where most of the people in the area were Hindus, but they were, they were ruled by Mughals. Mughals are... Um, ancestors of the mongrels you know genghis khan took over like half the planet mm-hmm. his ancestors took over parts of india they were by religion they were muslim which isn't as important they were just a ruling class who ruled a majority of a different faith so they started imposing islam onto that population mm-hmm. and our guru came, the first guru came out and he's like look there's no such thing as muslim there's no such thing as hindu Either you have a relationship with either God or the truth, or you don't. You can go to your mosque and pray, but if you're thinking about your woman or you're thinking about your property, then you're not really praying. doesn't mean shit. Yeah. You can donate all the money you want to charity, but if your heart is somewhere else, none of this means shit. Right. So he really came with this goal of dismantling the other two and turning people into lifelong learners and seekers of the truth. Okay. So and it's in some ways anti-religion. Almost. In the beginning, yeah. It was yeah. almost, it was those kind of... Or anti-organized kind of, religion. Anti-organized religion, but kind of freeing people from the dogma that religion eventually becomes. Mm-hmm. And religion to me isn't just simply about when people worship God. Like, in America, to me, the biggest religion is buy shit, be happy. Mm-hmm. That's what people believe in their bones. I buy a bunch of shit, it's going to make me happy. That really, imagine Guilty. trying to, yeah, I mean, a lot of us have it, but <laughs> trying to dismantle that religion, there's, there's powerful entities that are going to stop you if you try to pr- put out a message against that. Mm-hmm. People have stakeholders in that. Yeah. The same this way. This country runs on that. Exactly. The same way they put Galileo in jail for saying stuff, again, you know, saying mm-hmm. stuff that contradicted Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, so what ended up happening is we, uh, so the first guru, he spoke out against the king for trying to force people to convert. He went to jail, but he got more popular. You know, the more you, you resist someone, the more popular they get. It's like trying to ban a video on the internet. It gets bigger. Mm-hmm. And then he started collecting writer, writings from different writers around the region who all kind of spoke the same message, which was um, seek the truth, um, focus on service, um, and defend those who can't be d- defended. So we've always had a martial history to us. Mm-hmm. We, we learn martial arts, we fight. Um, by the sixth guru, because the fifth guru was murdered, the sixth guru created an army. And the way I was taught was there was a law back then that you couldn't wear a turban unless you were royalty. So the sixth guru say, like, all right, cool. Since only royalty can wear the turban, we all got to wear a turban. Okay. Yeah, you know, no different than saying, you know, when when men make rules for women, you can't dress like this, you can't take these contraceptives. Women's like, all right, now we all have to break right. that rule. So there's a lot of civil disobedience in my history. So we created armies by the sixth guru, and we went all the way up to the tenth guru. And 
I learned I learned much of my history when my mom taught me the history it was a lot of you know supernatural stuff yeah cool yeah, history yeah. what have you you know the righteous will always defeat the evil but then I met a lot of art collectors guys that would like come out here to New York go to the Met buy a piece of art and, and put it in another museum or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or you know know his story and he and they made they actually explained it to me a lot more like Game of Thrones <laughs> politics all of that that kind of went on so we what ended up happening was when the british came to india in like the 1800s they really kind of packaged it into a religion mm-hmm. so where they're like well who's your god and they marketed it i don't know if they marketed it i think they just they came to india to colonize and they had to organize things the way they had to organize it and right. they're like well these people are muslim these people are hindus and there's these all these guys some of these guys have their hair open some of these guys have big turbans some of these guys are carrying big swords let's you know, let's organize them accordingly. Uh-huh. Um, that's the part of the history that I, I, I don't think my parents got access to, you know, and that's only like 100 years old. Mm-hmm. So certain symbols that are considered very important in our in our faith um, are actually symbols created by the British to, right. to kind of uh, as symbols, to label you to label us. But as well as like we fought we fought for the British Empire. Mm-hmm. So that, that was our banner that turned into our banner. Right. Um, and they started associating this with symbols from like 500 years ago and then these art collectors were able to show me like look these symbols don't here here's some real here, here's some paintings from guys in like the 1700s and the 1600s these symbols don't exist so i was able to learn this having access to more educated people right but the common story is like no we are the special people of god we just believe in one god the hindus believe in a hundred gods yeah the muslims believe in forcing people to join their religion but the truth of the matter is i think we were just philosophers who decided the most important thing is the truth and that everybody is one and you can look and at that and you subscribe more to like the philosophy of right. it yeah more so than anything else so for me so the beard beautiful. and turban is heritage yeah it's, it's about learning and yeah. in, in the heritage and the philosophy you have your uh, we have five things that are considered I guess hindrances towards our peace kam krod lob mohankar so your lust your greed your anger your ego and your attachments is this like the seven sins type thing so it's not a sin because these are looked at as these aren't things that you can do anything about oh like they're inherent in us yeah like you can't get rid of your ego okay but you can recognize the greatest moments of your life is when your ego doesn't have a front seat like when you're in love with somebody Mm -hmm. your ego melts you feel like you're one with them Mm -hmm. you know when you have a child there is no you and your child you're just one Mm -hmm. so that idea when people do lsd Mm -hmm. it melts their ego so recognizing when you're not a slave to your ego or your attachments or your greed or your anger or your Mm -hmm. lust you know, you, you will find more peace in life. Yeah. But it I, does I get packaged as, oh, these are sins. And that's what yeah. happened. So I, I'd, I'd have a music video and I'd have a, you know, I had one music video where I was uh, making fun of the corny Bollywood romances. So I had, mm-hmm. I had a female lead with me and I'm just dancing and singing around her. I'm not even touching her. And then I got death threats. Being like, you're making us look like lustful people. Right. As if we're not Which lustful Which is actually people. so ironic, because it's like you said, like resistance is really painted in your history, and yeah. and now and that's the irony we're doing something it, a little yeah. bit different. Because we didn't evolve. We were martial, and we always fought, but we didn't realize that, A, we used to fight with swords, then it graduated to guns, but we didn't realize that now, in the last 50 years, the weapons are information right. and education. You know, even the powers that be now in India, they didn't 
they weren't able to conquer us by through violence. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, or just violence. There was mm-hmm. a lot of violence. They conquered us through taking away our language. Mm-hmm. They conquered us through taking away our history. And that's nothing new. That happened here with the native communities. That's happened with the Aborigines in Australia. You take the kids, you put them in these special schools, you mm-hmm. teach them different religions, and that's a common thing. So those are the things that I've learned. I'm like, I want to bring that back. And I feel like I can bring that back on a bigger scale where mm-hmm. it's not just about me and my people. Mm-hmm. It's about all people who have rich histories and heritages. We're mm-hmm. just like, hey, learn your history. Figure out how you got the way you got. Figure out why you believe the, th- you believe the things mm-hmm. you believe in. It's okay. You know, in, in, in the book, I have, a, I have a chapter called You Are Not Your Beliefs. Mm-hmm. which is, And I said, hey, I'm going to fuck with your beliefs. If somebody argues against your beliefs, they're not arguing against you as a person. Mm-hmm. You know, you if, if your favorite flavor of ice cream is mint chocolate chip and I say that tastes like shit, you're not person. You shouldn't be personally offended. Mm-hmm. Hopefully some people are. So now if somebody says, you know, Jesus isn't the one true savior, that's a, that's an opinion or a belief. But why, why is that offense? I mean, I, I agree. I, yeah. I, I catch myself getting, you know, caught up in those. Is that ego? It's ego and it's, a, it's attachment. Mm-hmm. You know, we we. Um, when we don't know ourselves, we allow the world to tell us who we are and we all want to belong. So, mm-hmm. you know, I want to, you know, I'm from Toronto. I'm a big Raptors fan. I'm going to watch the game. If the, if the team loses, it will make me feel upset. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of it and it's still all in fun. But, you know, right now, if you're either you're a Trump supporter, or you're not a Trump supporter. And all of a sudden, if somebody says something, if you support Trump and somebody says something negative about him, that doesn't make you think critically. That makes you dig in and support him even more. Mm-hmm. If somebody says something uh, good about him and you don't like him, that makes you hate him even more. Because we, 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 we take our personal value on what team we're on. And yeah, I don't think that's, that's healthy. So how do we change someone's mind? Um, I don't think we need... <laughs> how do we make everybody like, think like us? how do I manipulate like people? <laughs> yeah, how do I make people think like me? I, What's the answer? I, I think often we have to just look at people who kind of view life like this because we've all done it. We've, and accept. Think, well, accept and I think view them with compassion. I think sometimes we, view, we, should, we need to recognize their hostility is coming from fear. But also, like, I, I definitely understand that, you know, different strokes for different folks. And, of course, I, I think, you know, different opinions are what makes the world go round. Yeah. It makes the world an interesting place. But also, like, you know, some opinions have, like, real life consequences yeah and i think as as historians you know i think um i think it was mark twain that said history doesn't repeat but it sure does rhyme i think as historians we have to start to be mindful of certain things Mm -hmm. and the challenge is for me when so you know kind of weaving this back into the original story when i realized that record deal wasn't happening Mm -hmm. it took a year for me to realize that so by then, I was $80,000 in debt. Mm-hmm. I had no way to earn any money. Um, and I was super embarrassed. I didn't want to tell anybody how, how much I just fucked up. Mm-hmm. So I isolated Ego. myself. Ego. <laughs> I isolated myself in my room. I started taking a lot of muscle relaxers and NyQuil and just like laying in bed, hoping for someone to just like kick open the door with a mm-hmm. big check to save me. I actually, wait, pause. I saw that in your book that... You, you said that you were taking muscle relaxers that you can't even pronounce the name yeah. of. What was it? Robaxacet. Okay. I just wanted to know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, and I also realized, so in Canada, that's over the counter. Okay. Over here, it's not. Oh, okay. So I remember I actually hurt my back recently, and I was in L.A., and I went to a pharmacy in Hollywood, and I asked for it, and like, do you have a prescription? And I was like, oh, I don't need a prescription in Canada. He's like, this is Hollywood. <laughs> he goes, you think if people get their hands on this, they wouldn't? Like... 
Yeah, that's another thing that's cool about Canada. So how long were you doing that for? I was probably doing it daily for like a solid two weeks. Okay. And just like literally laying in bed, avoiding phone calls, avoiding everything. And then yeah. I think it, it, it turned out to be healing for me more so than anything how else. How so? Um, I needed the time. I had the, the person who uh, who had promised me this record deal. They, they, they had given me forged paperwork. They had given me oh a lot of God. stuff. Yeah, it got deep. So a real con kind it was, of. It was... It was a con. I mean, looking back at it now, I think he thought he could make it all work. I don't think he was what looking was to What was he doing me. it for? He like, believed was... in my talents. He thought he could kind of create a little pyramid scheme where he can get... He was, I think his plan was... So not was, a con in the sense that he was conning you, yeah, but he no, thought there isn't an, if I he mean, could just pull you like for long enough... He needed to keep me close right. to ride my coattails. He saw my potential... And I think he felt like if he can borrow money off somebody else, right. give me some of it. Fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. And I figured it out before it happened. Right. And then his response was to run and he just disappeared. But right. I, I loved him like a brother at this point. Right. So this was, I was in this place where I was like, damn, I've had girls break my heart. I've never had a guy yeah. break my heart. This is so strange. But I, I also don't have a real brother. I only have sisters. Yeah. So I think part of me was like, really itching for a brother so i kind of really leaned into this and also don't you think i find that like a lot of heartache is actually ego 100 percent. like there haven't been that many instances in my life where i'm like damn i really miss that person in my life it's usually more like i need to win i need to come out on top i need to be the dumper and also and i miss how they made me feel Right, right. Yeah, they made me it's feel very special. Narcissistic. They made me, yeah, because he made me feel like a genius. He was like, "Dude, you shouldn't be teaching. The world needs to hear your work. Mm-hmm. The world needs to hear your voice." And at this, and he, and he, and not only was he saying that, he was like, "And I'm gonna make it happen." Right. And uh, and I believed in him because I probably wanted to, and I'd already just had fallen in love with that that summer in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, so what ended up happening was when all this went went to shit, I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself. People had warned me. They're yeah. like, look, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Which and makes I, it even worse. Which makes it even worse. So now I avoided them because I didn't want to hear the I told you so. Yeah. But also still part of me was petty and was blaming them for not doing more to warn me. Mm-hmm. So I was blaming everybody but myself. Mm-hmm. And I realized how addictive self-pity was. Mm-hmm. So then after that two weeks, it was actually, I heard some J. Cole music. And, and shout out to J. Cole for just being beautiful. He just had one line in a song called Dollar in a Dream Part 3. And he goes, are you going to let it let it turn you bitter and cold or are you going to flip this dollar and turn it into your dream mm-hmm. um he goes watch a pawn become a king and i'm just like fuck this i'm going to do it and i just like got out of bed and i printed out all these messages and plastered them over my wall and every message was very harsh it was like sink or swim you want a vacation go get a real job um you know we're doing this until we die and i made this promise to like hey if we're gonna be hum- we're gonna be humble to poet because you're popular enough where people are gonna recognize you, mm-hmm. even though you're broke. Let's just do this until we die, whether we die in three months. Is that months, what became the years. book? That's what became the book. Everything plastered on your walls. Everything plastered on my walls. All the lessons. That's why the book is like a very straightforward talking best friend. It was the the is what I had to continually say to myself to get myself out of this. I keep uh-huh. telling people this book saved my life, and I, I and I don't even view myself as the author of this book. It was. All the challenges I went through created the circumstances where I had to have that honest conversation with myself. And I just kept writing because I was reading Tumblr quotes and I was listening to like J.K. Rowling's, you know, commencement speech where she's like, rock bottom was the solid foundation that I built my life upon. And I'm sitting there like, 
But how the fuck do I know if I've hit rock bottom? I need something more pragmatic. How do I get $80,000? Give me something more realistic. And so I realized the only thing I could do was write. And at the same time, I was trying to make music. I thought that's how I was going to make my money. My studio engineer was going through his own girlfriend problems. The guy who was shooting my videos, he was going through his own issues. So they stopped picking up the phone. So I couldn't even make music because I didn't know how to by right. myself. But I knew how to write, so I just started writing. And uh, from that point on, um, once the writing actually made me feel good, and not just for five minutes like some em empty motivational quote, mm -hmm. uh, I started sharing it. And when I started sharing it on Facebook at the time, uh, in the beginning, the top comments were like, wow, it's like you live in my head. Wow, like you're saying everything I needed to hear today. Wow, did you are they're tagging their friends to be like, hey, we just talked about the same yeah, thing yeah, last yeah. night. And then it became, you should write a book. And then I, and I kind of responded like, I don't know how to write a book. Right. And then somebody messaged me saying, hey, try out this service. It's print to order. You don't have to carry boxes of books in your house. So your book was originally self-published. Originally self-published and I crowdfunded it. So, okay. so it kind of went on Kickstarter, another site called Indiegogo. Mm -hmm. And I went and said, hey. I crowdfunded a boob job on there. You crowdfunded a boob job? Yeah, was it successful? Friend. It was. We made more than enough money for her boob job. That is fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, same. No, it, it is, no, but it is the same because crowdfunding allows you to tell people, look, this is what I want to do. Transparency. You guys want to support? I mean, there was that guy who crowdfunded like $6,000 to hire a skywriter. And just write something in the sky in L.A. And he goes, listen, whoever gives me the most money. Uh, sorry, everybody who gives me money, you guys can vote on what I write. Okay. And I think they, they voted on I like potatoes. So somebody <laughs> sky wrote in L.A. I like potatoes. He's just a comedian. And right. people criticize him. Like, you could have given that $5,000 to, char to charity. He's like, that's not what I raised it for. Yeah. I raised it for the skywriter. Right. People who gave me the it's money. It's not like he said, here, let's raise money for children with cancer. And yeah. Used it to write I like potatoes. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, and it's the same thing with the boob job. You said you, were, you wanted a boob job. You guys delivered on the boob job. We did. That's it. I'm, yeah. I'm sure people got promised pictures of the boobs maybe. I don't yeah. know. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's in porn. So, there yeah, you go. they're so, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was a win-win for everybody involved. And I think it was the same thing with me in the book. I was like, all right, you guys keep asking me to write a book. If I go to a publisher right now, they'll probably just, you know, own my entire life. Right. You know, so let's do this together. And right. um, I raised 26 grand with 300 people. And then I was like, well, okay, now I have enough money to, like, pay my bills while I'm trying to do this. And again... The, the, the anybody can do this and right. all it requires of you is to swallow your pride or your ego and ask for help my biggest contributor was $1,500 um, from a Harvard professor I had never met and were you giving perks yeah what, what was the $1,500 perk I'll come to your house and perform Oh really? Yeah. And so, did you? Yeah, I went to I went to Cambridge, Massachusetts. Massachusetts I can't even say it. I'm Canadian. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah, I went to Cambridge and I performed for a bunch of Harvard professors, and I did a little actually did a little workshop too, and just had Whoa, these activities. Whoa, that's really cool. It I was, would do that for free. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was. I mean, and I even asked. I'm like, why'd you give me fifteen hundred bucks? I've never met you. And he's like, I was just really proud to see an artist take business in his own hands. And he showed me his office. He was a Harvard business professor. Yeah. And in his office, he had a sign that said, um, from Andy Warhol, is a quote that said, business is the most interesting type of art. And he goes, most often artists reject the business side. They consider themselves sellouts. And he goes, I was really proud of you for taking it in your own hands. And he worked in crowdsourcing. So uh -huh. his job was to, you know, if uh, NASA had a problem, they would go to him and they'd be like, all right, we got 
this this equation we can't solve. And then he would go to his Harvard nerds and be like, all right, guys, I got 25 grand for whoever can solve this. Right. And he could like get stuff. And then he create, he'll create this model. There's something about what you just said, though. I think a lot of artists do feel like by monetizing on their art, they're no longer a true artist or yeah. like they're not doing it for the art. Like what? That's ego. That's ego? That's ego. Is it, but don't they think that when saying that, don't they think ego is what's making making them not a true artist no because the question is so you know when you make when people because people always talk about oh my art my art is either going to feed my soul or it's going to feed my wallet mm -hmm. feeding your soul is feeding your ego because mm -hmm. okay. you know what, what's really going to feed your soul is helping people right you know, that's that's the stuff that you can you know you can never accurately predict how good it's going to feel it always feels better than you don't now if you say i want to make a million dollars it won't feel as good when you make the million dollars as you think it will mm -hmm. you know when i it took me three years to get out, four years to get out of debt. Uh, four years slowly through the crowdfunding, through throwing my own shows, through finally writing the book and, and pushing it at every single show. Slowly, I didn't win the lottery. I didn't, uh, no magic wand. Mm -hmm. I grinded myself out in four years to get to zero. I promised myself it'd be the greatest moment of my life. Yeah, it was for about five hours. Yeah. And I'm like, what's next? <sighs> So it's the so, same thing when artists think this thing about not feeding, they think they're being sellouts, but what you have to realize is, A, we all require resources and resources are tools, right? Mm -hmm. For me, being a broke artist taught, made me an involuntary minimalist as well. I learned to live with very little. Mm -hmm. And once I started making money, I only started making money because I knew how, I learned how to make money through getting out of debt. Right. If you can go from negative 80,000 to zero, you can go from zero to 80,000, 80, yeah. right. which was the following years. The following years were great because I learned how to make money. And once I started making money, I didn't waste it because I was like, hey, when I was a teacher and I used to tutor these high school kids, I made a lot of cash on the side. I drove a Benz, <laughs> right? I had to lose the Benz when I went broke. Yeah. I didn't buy a Benz back. I still yeah. don't own a car. I, I Uber it. Yeah. And it's because I'm like, hey, it, it wasn't the end of the world. I don't have a nice car. And there yeah. are there are girls in the world that don't care about this stuff. Yeah. And Being broke in, you know, like this sounds, of course, money is important. Of course, we want the things we want our basic needs met. But sometimes being broke can be like the most freeing and most being a, being being to be broke, broke once in your life might be kind of important yes. for everyone. I, I believe there's only two tax brackets. There's struggling and then there's not struggling. Um, I mean, and obviously that depends on where you live because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, not struggling in Kansas is still mm -hmm. struggling in New York. Mm -hmm. But well, being a millionaire is still struggling in New York. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> being a millionaire makes you middle class out here. Yeah. But I mean, if you get to the point, and I think that's what I realized, which was when I graduated from struggling to not struggling, I realized that most people just continue climbing and chasing because you know, if you if you make a hundred thousand dollars, you're gonna you're gonna start meeting people who make a million. Mm -hmm. When you make a million, you start meeting people who make ten. Mm -hmm. When you make ten, mm -hmm. you're gonna meet, meet billionaires. And instead of identifying that gap that, hey, they have what I don't have, I'm like, hey, adding another zero to my net worth isn't going to make life any better. The mm -hmm. only time it actually impacts your, your anxiety and your stress is when you're actually struggling and when you're not. I agree. Like, I always say, like, I think once your basic needs are met, like once you can, you, you can eat, you have shelter, you know, you're, you're not hungry, I guess. It, once those basic needs are met, it really is just perspective. Like It really is gratitude, perspective. And I think they actually did a, a study about this. And I think for most places, I mean, we're not counting New York for sure, but most places is 75 grand a year. Mm -hmm. 
So pretty much they're saying from 75 grand to $10 billion, your personal happiness mm-hmm. won't be impacted in the long term by right, your earnings. by the money. Yeah. But it's true, yeah. In New York, if you make 75 grand, you're still living with a roommate. Yeah, you're still living with a roommate. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's sometimes, even with me, like I, I go back to missing the times where when I was writing, the only reward was the writing. Mm-hmm. Like, shit, I came up with that. Oh, patting myself on the mm-hmm. back, being excited to get it recorded, being excited to hear it. Now it's like, oh, there's a deadline. There's a paycheck attached to mm-hmm. it. And the paycheck will never make you as excited as you were when you were 17 for doing it. That's really interesting. Like, that's something I always thought was personal and not universal. Uh, but like, And I don't know that I'm still, like, even convinced. But, like, because I, I find it's really hard for me to hap- hold on to happiness in that way. Like, yeah. like I'll, for example, like, even in porn, like, I was working toward getting performer of the year for so long for years and then I got it and I thought like I'd feel good then like forever yeah but it was like a day yeah (laughs) and and that's the thing (laughs) and then I was just depressed again because I'm like well what next what next because the thing is we we can the thing is with a lot of people who are entrepreneurs and, and living life on their own terms is we're really good at visualizing. Mm-hmm. You want something, you think about it, you focus on it, you make it happen through your actions. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not, you don't just simply visualize it and put it on your it's vision board. It's not the board. secret. It's not the secret. <laughs> and yeah, definitely. And that's, I remember the first time when my book came out independently, someone was like, oh, this is like the secret. And I had no idea what that was. And <laughs> I opened the page, it was like, I visualized checks and two months later, yeah. checks are in the mail. I envisioned no. a Porsche and yeah. one appeared in my garage. That, that's not how it happens. You can visualize a Porsche and you can think about the Porsche while you work your ass off. Right. And then you'll probably get a Porsche. But what you won't be successful at and you won't be accurate at is what emotions are going to come with that. Mm-hmm. So if you say to yourself, I want a million dollars, all you're really doing is reminding yourself every day that you don't have a million dollars and bigging up the promise of what a million dollars is going to make you feel. What you don't realize is, A, in order to earn a million dollars, you have to aim for 10. That's okay. Something, right? Nobody can just... You aim for 10 and fall at 1. Or you aim at 10, and on the way to 10, you'll make 1. Right. Right? <laughs> You're never going to... You can't aim for 1 and just hit 1. Right. Um, and, and secondly, it's... By the time you hit that one, you're going to be thinking about the other nine you have to make. Right. And you're not going to feel, feel fulfilled. And even if you do, it'll last five, six hours. And again, in my personal life, and, I, and I'm sure people listening can probably agree with me, the only thing that ever felt better when I did it was helping other people. Like I took my so parents you're saying to, that one sticks? That one really sticks. Like I took my parents to Kenya, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize how expensive the trip was, and I, I, I promised to take them. And then when I was like making the making the arrangements, I was like, "Oh shit, this is like half my entire bank account." Right. I thought this was gonna be like a three thousand dollar trip, and it turned yeah. out to be like a, a thirty thousand dollar trip. And I'm like, "Well, it's for my parents. They spend money on me." And the amount of happiness it brought them, and it brought me, and even thinking about it now, right, it was exceeded everything I thought. Right. You know, and it's uh, one of my favorite quotes is, "If you don't." People who think money doesn't buy happiness haven't spent enough on other people. Hmm. You know, like there is ways to, to find happiness in money, but it's not spending it on yourself. Right. And I've had experiences like I have a friend, you know, one of my friend, my best friends is Lily Singh, who's who's, mm-hmm. who's who's killing it right now. I was with her when she had a billboard in Times Square. And I remember we were waiting. It was, you know, the digital. So it was, they said that the billboard will be up between three and five and it'll be on rotation. And being there at 2.30, just excited, being like, Dude, like, after today, 
like, what's there to work towards? Like, you need a billboard on the moon if you want to talk this. And then the billboard came up and we made videos and we had fun. Her whole family was there. And then at five o'clock it shut off. And then we went out for dinner with her family and her little nephews were there and they're all like three crazy little boys, like between like one and four. So they're nuts, they're little kids. By 7 p.m., everyone was just full of anxiety and stress, trying to yeah. get the dinner over. We met a... We met back a, to usual. Back to usual. It, it was Times Square, which is an anxiety-ridden area. Yeah. And, it, and it wore off. And it was like, well, what's next? What's the next thing? And then kind of realizing that trying to accomplish these goals really just makes you climb a mountain that has no peak. Right. And the best thing to do is instead of focusing on goals, is focus on habits. You know? So, for example, if you got... If you want to be more fit, don't say I want to lose 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. Create habits that will help you lose weight slowly every day, every week, every month. You'll eventually pass the 10 pounds and keep going. Mm-hmm. And now you're not, and your only real goal. Like create a lifestyle, you mean? Create a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I think create a lifestyle even with, with your work and, and creativity, like where, hey, I'm going to create a lifestyle that earns me more money regularly Mm -hmm. it may not be every day it may not even be every year maybe Mm -hmm. this year i took an l and next year i'll I'll double it up Mm -hmm. and i think the growth of it will be better than kind of putting these little one specific goal one specific goal like winning the award right you know instead because the thing too is and 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 this was an interesting one that I've, i've been taught i don't have no kids but i guess maybe i'm thinking about it and this is why um all this parenting advice is like hitting my ears it was you know put it on put it onto your kids that they need to measure their efforts, not their achievements. So, you know, if mm. they win, if they win the prize, but they didn't give it a hundred percent, they should not feel good. My therapist says the same. I just had a kid. So like yes. I'm full of questions about on like how to raise the best kid, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But she said the same thing. She said, but she said it like this. She said, when um, your kid comes home, let's say he got a hundred on a test, the wrong thing to do is to be like oh congratulations i'm so happy for you good job yeah right the right thing is actually to ask how do you feel about it how do you feel about your effort yeah you know it's because if math comes easy to him and he got 100 it's not the same thing as the kid that worked super hard you know for a month to study for this test and got the 100 exactly. it's not the same thing yeah and if they studied their hardest or if they cheated if they cheated, yeah, you're, you know? you're encouraging them to focus on the, the pot of gold instead of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. And instead being like, hey, you know, like my nephew just finished second in, in like a, a province-wide, provinces of like states, mm-hmm. you know, a province-wide uh, basketball tournament. You know, all I want to say to him is if you actually gave it your best, mm-hmm. then be proud, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, you can't control everything except your effort. Mm-hmm. And that's something where even for you in your career, like, look, you have a craft, whatever the craft is. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about this, this is a famous uh, sushi chef named Yoshi who owns some bougie-ass spot in New York, sold it, and he, now he has an eight-seater on mm-hmm. a Japanese subway stop mm-hmm. making sushi. Mm-hmm. And they said, like, why'd you leave everything? He goes, the only thing I care about is making that better roll every day. And he's like, he does mixed martial arts and he, does, he makes sushi. Mm-hmm. And he's obsessed with becoming a better craftsman at making sushi right um i mean i saw an interview with Lil wayne where he said that he goes most rappers fall off because they don't love rap they love the rewards that rap gives them right he goes i love rap right he goes that's why i'm rich and i'm still in the studio working because my reward is the work and focusing on getting better at whatever your craft is 
and improving on that every single day because there is no finish line. There shouldn't be finish. We're, we're all works of art. That's actually really interesting. Like, I always ask, because, you know, living in L.A. for 10 years, I've come across a lot of actors. Yes. Slash waiters. Yes. Slashies. <laughs> um, and, you know, I always thought, like, being an actor, you have to kind of be the most narcissistic person because you're getting rejected left and right and you still have to think I'm good enough to make it. But it's actually what you're saying is it's not about the making it. It's that they want to perfect their craft of acting. They want yeah. to act, not be famous or yeah. be make it or Yeah, and that's the focus. I just watched um, uh, Jason Gordon Lovitz. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a TED Talk. I was fortunate enough to be at TED. And he talked about that. And he was like, in the beginning, it was hearing, you know, lights, sound, speed, camera, roll, action. Because then I got lost. And mm-hmm. I would just be in the present. I'd be in flow. And it's all about acting. And he goes, and social media came. Then it stopped mm-hmm. being about acting. And it became about followers. And he was like, oh, crap. I, I, I didn't start my Instagram until after Batman. If I had started earlier than Batman, mm-hmm. I would have had more followers. And he goes, then I lost now I started viewing my, my co-stars as my competition because I started thinking in my head about how much media they were going to get, how much attention. He goes, then it destroyed my craft because then I had to let that all go and realize that these people aren't my competition. These people are my colleagues. Right. And I need to react to them. We need to work together. We need to collaborate. And it's funny that you brought up L.A. with that because I feel like there's three levels in this world. There's, there's a level of competition where people view each other's competition then there's a level of cooperation where it's like, hey, I don't like you, you don't like me, or I don't care about you, you don't care about me. Mm-hmm. But we're both smart enough to realize if we work together, we both mm-hmm. will benefit. And then there's collaboration, which is what we're about to do is more important than you and I mm-hmm. individually. I feel like L.A. is very cooperat- cooperative and, co- and competitive. Mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, collaboration there. Mm-hmm. I feel like collaboration is where the fun's at. Mm-hmm. Collaboration is where the reward's at. You, you and your loved one collaborate on a baby. Mm-hmm. You know, you work and you're like, this, what we're about to create is worth more than both of us. Mm-hmm. And I think that focusing on that craft is you won't need these other short-term gratifications and fixes, whether it be awards and, and all this different type of stuff. And I thought that's cool because like, um, Johnny Depp doesn't watch his movies after he makes them, mm-hmm. you know, and he said, I'm only in it for the acting process. I'm not concerned Ooh, with how it comes out. Yeah. And okay. you're like, and you think about that, you're like, Do you wow, that's true though. I think it might be a romantic answer for not wanting to show up and do media and show up <laughs> to premieres and not really care. But right. I mean, I've met, cert- I've, I met a guy in India once. I went to I this- mean, if that's true, that's super fucking noble well it's noble but i think he might have also found his peace and i mean he might i mean he might think he has better things to do and you know also that's also the kind of answer he can afford to give that answer like do you know what i mean like he like i would imagine like his ego's already met (laughs) yeah but i mean when we were kids a lot of stuff we did the the work was just a reward and i mean i was in india and i met this club owner and i we were i was, I was with these friends who were djing at a club that just opened it was a beautiful club mm-hmm. looked like a mushroom and i went up to him and i was hanging out in the dj booth so i ended up being the guy who had to like collect all the gift bags and all these like product mm-hmm. Gucci bags and then i saw him I was like congratulations man you had an amazing club opening he's like i don't give a shit I only liked this place while we were building it. The second it opened, I fell out of love with it, and I'm thinking about the next place that I'm building. Right. Like, he just cared about the process. He goes, these parties and shit are annoying to me. And he was being serious. Right. And he actually uh, made me stretch out my arms. And he goes, stretch out your arms. This is in the middle of the club. He goes, stretch out your arms. He goes, from finger to finger, that is the entire history of the earth. 
goes, you want to know how long humans have been here? Right. He's like, just a tip. <laughs> and he goes, Hair. he goes, this isn't important. None of this is important. And I'm sitting there like, why is this happening right now, this conversation? But I keep meeting these people and, and you hear it as well as like, Andre 3000 said in the verse too, he goes, you know, making money, never primary concern. I just want to hop on the beat and wait my turn. You know, and just like, he's pretty much saying, I just want to make music. That's all I really cared about. And all this other stuff is allowing me to make music. Yeah. So I have to get involved with the business or what have you. And That's such a way more enjoyable way to like go about your life. Focus on the journey, not the destination. Yeah. Yeah. So it's focus on the rainbow. Fuck I hope the pot I can of remember that. I feel like whenever I hear really inspirational things like that, I don't remember them. Well, Do you know what I mean? And this like goes in back- the moment, I'm like, that just changed my life and that's how I'm going to live my life now. And then like five minutes later, I'm like, well, this goes, this what this, and this takes us back full circle to the value of religion. The mm-hmm. one thing that I give, that I envy about very religious people mm-hmm. is, um, wait, so you don't consider yourself very religious? No, not, not at all. Okay. Um, like in terms of dogmatic, no, I mean, I, I, I look at myself as somebody who was fortunate enough to be, uh, raised in an eastern philosophy because mm-hmm. eastern philosophy uh you know like buddhism sikhi all mm-hmm. of this is just thinking cyclical mm-hmm. we think in terms of seasons and circles mm-hmm. there's no beginning middle and end everything's mm-hmm. just a cycle out here the main uh you know the world is pretty much uh based on a foundation of christianity christianity is linear mm-hmm. do this do this do this at the end of the reward heaven mm-hmm. or hell mm-hmm. right that's how our society is structured based off that straight line that's why we think about climb this. Climb the mountain, climb the mountain, climb, climb the mountain. Climb the mountain, And there's something going to be at the end. Right. For us, we think cyclically, which means you're going to have, you're always going to have a winter in your life. You're always going to have a spring. You're always going to have a summer. They're always going to cycle. Even when you die, you're part of a cycle. You know, it's been changed to reincarnation. But for me, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll decompose and I'll become part of the dirt. I'll become part of the animals. I'll become mm-hmm. part of the oxygen. I'm, I'm always, I'm part of something bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm fortunate to be raised in that. I see how when the British came, they really kind of, I don't think they did it on purpose. I think just for them to contextualize it, they really mm-hmm. kind of packaged it in their own way. Like, mm-hmm. well, what's the punishment? Who is your God? Who is all this? So for me, I look at it as I am a drop in the ocean, you know, and, uh, ocean, and as well as Rumi says, I'm an ocean within the drop. My ego makes me think I'm separate from everybody else, mm-hmm. but I'm not. It's like the Matrix. We're all just the code. You know, there is no It's a very existentialist way to think. I don't think so. I think scientifically as well. You don't? Like, I I mean, you you are atoms. You were were built of. Yeah. When, how do we decide where you start and you end? Because, you know, there's space in between you that oxygen flows through. Right. You know, how do you decide where you start and you end and I start and I end? Right. You know, and and, and, in in the context of even free will. We are all composed of just these random micro atoms. So you think we're all random? Yeah. yeah, we're all random. I think so, too. Yeah. I mean, I don't actively believe in anything. Yeah. Like, I'm kind of, like, open to... I'm very, like, agnostic. Like, whatever it is, I, yeah. it's beyond me. And I I've, don't know. And I feel like with society right now... There's a really good book um, by Scott Adams, the guy mm-hmm. who made the Dilbert comics. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. okay. It's a book called God's Debris. I'm going to plug in another book, but it's a really good book. <laughs> God's Debris. And he kind of predicted this like 15 years ago. He goes, it's not going to be religion versus science. Eventually, people are going to marry the two. Okay. So instead of saying, hey, there's only one God, you can be like, hey, we are all the creation. Mm-hmm. Whatever the creation is, from here to the Milky Way and everything in between, we're all just made up of stardust. We're right. all made up of the same stuff. We just think we're separate from other things. When, right. When, when we pass away, matter cannot be created or destroyed. Right. So we're all matter in just different forms existing. And Carl Sagan said, you know, 
humans are butterflies fluttering for one day and thinking it's a lifetime. You know, there's poetry in that science, right? So you're right. It can all exist. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't prescribe to the idea that there's there's some omnipresent existence Mm -hmm. watching me, judging Mm -hmm. me, taking score. I don't believe in that. But I do believe like if I put out certain energy, certain energy is going to find me back. Like, yeah. And I don't think that that's mystical or spiritual. I think that's you walk into a room and get bad vibes, you know, dogs can sense bad. No, it's absolutely contagious. And I think that's. So I, I just had a kid and I think that's like the main thing is like, I really want to spread good vibes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to like always smile around him. <laughs> no, I mean like it sounds silly, but like I yeah. am, I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to use positive words yeah. rather than, you know, like just, and I think that's something I never really thought about before, but it's so true. Like energy is so fucking contagious. It, it is. It's and, true. And it's because we can't see it. Like we can't see ultraviolet. Like you mm-hmm. can put on special glasses to see ultraviolet, but it's there. Mm-hmm. And it impacts us. We can't see UV rays, how that impacts our skin, but it's there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that can be probably explained through science that we, for the longest time, I think for the longest time, when we couldn't explain something, the, the default answer was God made it. Right. You know? But I think we still do that. Like, not necessarily specific to God, but yeah. like, I think there's so many things that we still can't explain. So we're just like, or, or we're explaining wrong. Like, yeah. we don't even have the terminology or like the the knowledge yet yeah. and, we're, and we're still modernizing it where we're like you know the universe wants me to do something like <laughs> it, that's still your ego speaking now you're acting like you're the center of creation right and everything is done for you right so you're like the universe is telling me you know or soulmates or other ideas, or like, being blessed or being blessed being right blessed is also an incredibly narcissistic thing exactly when, but when you can kind of look at ourselves like look we we are we are creatures who have had to survive in the wild for so long mm-hmm. so what happens is we will generally we we are generally designed to ignore when things are going right. Like if you walk into your household, there are certain s- smells and mm-hmm. sounds that are were always there. Maybe it's your cooking, maybe it's your laundry, maybe it's your food or or what have you. Your brain is taught to shut that off and mm-hmm. not notice it. And I'll notice it when I walk in because mm-hmm. my brain is like this is new. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to it. It's new. This is why a person can have a 99% blessed life and 1% problems and focus on the problems mm-hmm. because our brains have been designed to pay attention to the 1%. That's why, like as cheesy as it is, that's why a gratitude journal works. Gratitude journals work. I think also like understanding really thinking that, of the yeah. things you're thankful for, honestly, it really fucking changes it your does. life. And I, I think if we're going to shove a religion down anybody's throat, mm-hmm. it should be gratitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually, in Canada, and I'm hoping that they, they come out here soon, is I have my own line of thank you cards. Okay. Yeah, I'll send you them. And they're, yeah. and they're so dope. So it's like, thank you for saving my ass. And then there's funny ones like, oh, thanks for coming to my party even though you weren't invited. And it's just, and I call it a 30-day uh, supply of gratitude. So there's uh-huh. 30 cards and like the challenge is, can you write somebody a card every single day? Because when I crowdfunded the book. That's awesome. Yeah, because my favorite thing about crowdfunding the book wasn't the money I made. It was writing every single person a thank you card. Yeah. And being like, in the beginning being like, whoa, this is going to suck. I got to write 300 thank you cards. I'm just going to write the same thing to everybody. But really, my heart just started getting more flooded as I kept on. I'm like, look, I never thought I could write a book. You just helped me make this happen. Yeah. Thank you so much. And just writing thank you cards to as many people as possible just really made me happy. And I was like no, excited to do 20 a day. Feeling thankful does change your life. And it's something you can actively do. I mean, I think it's the only time we're ever happy. Like if somebody... If you buy yourself a Lamborghini, you're only happy because you're thankful for it. When you buy your ninth Lamborghini, really you're not true. grateful for it. 
Yeah, it's, we're That's grateful so for true. things. Yeah, gra- gratitude Gra- is gratitude is the basis of happiness. Yeah, it's the basis of happiness, and that's why huh. things that made us happy yesterday won't make us happy tomorrow because we we no longer see its value in gratitude. We get used to it. Right. So, at the very least, if you want to try to spend money to be happy, spend money on experiences because experiences will will emit more gratitude than yeah. things. If you buy yourself that new cool microwave, mm-hmm. you'll be happy when you use the microwave. But you won't be happy when you think about that microwave when, like, when you're you know outside. What? You know, you should move to LA, or you should be living in LA because <laughs> LA needs that. L- LA <laughs> that's needs everything. When I left LA, the that's everything. Like we just said, is like the reason I was so over LA. Yeah, <laughs> I know, and, and I learned this, and I think a lot. And I'm, again, I'm super fortunate that I again I grew up in Eastern philosophy, but I also grew up in Canada where things aren't as intense. Mm-hmm. We have a lot more space. You know, we have one tenth the population, but we're twice the size Mm -hmm. and you know coming even some of my friends in LA who are the sweetest kindest uh greatest people they still believe you know heavily in retail therapy and that's something I never saw plus I was also a starving artist the idea of shopping wasn't there yeah just being the child of immigrants in general it's it's, you have a different relationship to like consumerism for sure I'm not even I I am cheap about paper towels yes like when people use a paper towel on like a little spot of water and throw it away I'm like are you fucking insane yeah that is still a good paper towel yes exactly but But, and that comes from our childhood where you're like yo that's a waste of money yeah or like all these you know I remember thinking to myself up until probably last year like who the hell drinks out of the mini bar? <laughs> yeah. Why do they even have this? What a dumb... And you realize, like, no, people actually people do. Because it's can, more convenient than walking downstairs yep. to, to, to the Rite Aid to mm-hmm. get, a, get a drink or something. And Or, like, who uses Wi-Fi on a plane? Or <laughs> who pays extra for a business class seat? And then you start to realize, like, you know... Like, what a scam. Yeah, what a scam. <laughs> but that's what our parents... You know, I remember as me and my two sisters... Chocolate bars were two for a dollar. My mom's like, here's two, figure it out. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah. having to, to go through all of this stuff. And my parents never let it go. You know, up until they're both retired now. And, you know, they, they don't really have any financial challenges they have to deal with. But they, you know, they accomplished everything by cooking at home, eating mm-hmm. every day, living very simply. And even me telling them now, like, en- enjoy your money, spend it. Mm-hmm. travel oh we don't want to travel we don't want to go places yeah you know buy buy yourself something nice they don't they don't want to do it's any such a different that. mentality it is and yeah. that's why i started taking them places and as i said like that trip to, to kenya as expensive as it was was such a transformative experience for them and me where it's like i'm gonna take them on more trips and not mm-hmm. really buy them stuff and the gratitude that came from that it's 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 endless and with that mentality it's probably the only way they could enjoy a trip like that right yeah, and I mean, you I know. learned it, 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 it was it was done by accident because I was just giving them money, mm-hmm. and then my sister was like, you know, they're not spending the money because they think at any moment you're gonna go broke, <laughs> so they, they started a oh, new account. They put yeah, it aside for you. They, they put it aside <laughs> for me. It's sweet, which was super sweet. That is. And I mean, in the beginning, it was like, okay, they might be right, but this is after a couple of years. I was like, all right, if you're not gonna spend the money I'm giving you, yeah. then I'll spend the money I'm giving you, and let me just take you guys on somewhere, right. somewhere dope and stuff. And uh, it's been it's been crazy. Um, I do want to revisit that one thing that we talked about earlier about like self-pity, because I think Mm -hmm. I think it's just super important. We all want to feel connected. And when I was at my lowest time, I was feeling a lot of Mm self-pity and things got better for me when I took personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized that self-pity is very addictive Mm. to self-pity. So we all know that we're all scratching our itch for connection through social media. 
mm-hmm. know, it's it's easier to 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 go on social media, swipe your thumbs, and get the dopamine drops. It's easier to go on Tinder and uh, when somebody does something you don't like, just swipe right and move on to the next person, and not do the unsexy work that it takes to build meaningful connections. What we don't realize is self-pity is a way to build a connection with yourself that is also quick, easy, cheap, and convenient. Mm. And what we do is we'll say, nobody understands what I'm going through except for me. And we build this connection. But the long-term cost of it is we isolate ourselves from other people. So for me, for the longest time, I felt sorry for myself. Things only got better when I took responsibility and stopped feeling sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, oh, well, this guy betrayed me, this guy lied to me, poor me i said well you know what where did i have power in that well Mm -hmm. i had power in listening to these stories i had powers in my expectations i had powers in how i stop seeing yourself as the victim one thousand percent stop seeing yourself as a victim and and the reason i want to revisit this is it was because we kind of talked about our you know the political climate it's Mm -hmm. the same thing you can look at yourself as a victim of if Mm -hmm. you have a leader you don't like or you can look at yourself on where your power still exists. Mm. You know, we're, we're not happy when, when the picture in our head doesn't match the picture in front of us. We spend too much time complaining about the picture in front of us when we have much more power over that picture in our head. Mm-hmm. And right now, if you're not happy with the way things are, you right. have more power to exercise. Whether it's Or what involved. have you done to... What prevent you, that from happening what have you done to prevent it from happening or what can you do just to maybe impact your local community mm-hmm. you know things that a president has no interest in mm-hmm. doing anything about and get you know getting involved locally picking up trash locally or mm-hmm. doing something and i realize is we get frustrated when we feel helpless um we enjoy feeling helpless because we're building a connection with ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's just as addictive as fast food it's just as addictive as social media it's, it's quick gratification mm-hmm. But what we need to do is we need to realize but what, where that is the gratification? The gratification is through the connection. All humans need to feel connected. Right. And when you start to isolate yourself. So, for example, and, and you no, know, I mean, in self-pity In self-pity. So what, it's, it's in the idea that nobody understands you mm-hmm. and you feel special. I mean, I guess even when you do meet someone, it's like you do find you you do create a bond, an instant bond in the things that, you know, isolate the two of you yeah. so i guess you're saying we do that with ourselves we do that so think about it this way i think that the easiest one that most people can relate to is heartbreak mm-hmm. so somebody dumps you mm-hmm. all of a sudden we, we we fall into these pits of despair as if we're the only person this has ever happened to mm-hmm. no one's ever been cheated on before mm-hmm. nobody's ever been dumped before but there's a million songs out there about the subject right so clearly you're not the first person right and, and you've probably met a friend. I've met a friend. You've probably been a friend. And I've been that friend where you ask for advice, but you really don't want the advice. You just want people to validate how you feel. Right. I yeah. mean, anytime you ask for advice, I think. And some, yeah. And then you're some, just waiting till you hit the one that says exactly what you're thinking. Yeah. You're like, oh, I was thinking the same thing. And I'm it's the same that. thing that we have now with, with the internet where, you know, there's studies that have shown that if you were anti-Trump and mm-hmm. you make an anti-Trump tweet, it's a 90% chance that a pro-Trump person will never see the tweet. It never leaves the echo chamber. Right. So now we're encouraged to live in our echo chambers where everybody believes what we believe. And now we've developed comfort zones where we're building these tribes and all growth exists outside of our comfort zones. Right. So now for a sec, you know, so I always say challenge people like, if you don't like Trump, make friends with somebody who does. Right. Get outside your comfort zone. Um, I've always said, again, uh, an easy day at the gym wasn't an effective day at the gym. Right. We have to be uncomfortable. We have to take responsibility to better ourselves and better our circumstances. And that always comes through being uncomfortable. So for me, 
getting out of this hole meant being uncomfortable. I was avoiding it. I was cutting corners. I would have never quit my job until somebody promised me this big record contract. Right. I'm grateful now, looking back, because that's right. the only way I would have pulled the trigger. I understand that this person wasn't evil. They were scared. Mm-hmm. They, they, they created a mess of a situation. They, Do you believe in people being evil? Evil? Yeah. Um, I, I, I definitely believe that certain people's wirings are crossed a certain way, and they can lack empathy and uh-huh. not, um, you know, sociopaths can, you know, not see the difference, you know, between harming somebody and not and seeing that it but may do not you impact think, them but that's different than someone being actively evil right um yeah no i, I don't think i don't believe in sort of absolute evil i think there's you know everybody has priorities and they're trying mm-hmm. to make their priorities happen and depending on whose team you're on right you know you decide that this person is good or bad i mean it's also that thing of like if you know someone's full story you know someone's full them. story yeah and I, and I love like t- I feel like TV's doing that now. Really good yeah. TV's doing that. Where like there are All no the good guys. Yeah, yeah, there's no bad guys. Everybody has qualities you like. Everybody has qualities you don't like. Even documentaries, you know, like like which ones? You take. I mean, you take like, you know, someone is horrific as a murderer. Yeah. Or or someone who just does really like undesirable things, and then you see their entire backstory, and you're like, I can't hate that person anymore. Like yeah. I see how this road has taken them there, and it's like. And I think that's also a key to peace, which is... So humanizing, I guess. Put understanding over judgment. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, try to understand somebody before you judge them. Try to understand a circumstance before you judge it. Mm-hmm. Stop looking at life as this is good news, this is bad news. Mm-hmm. Stop looking at the weather as this is good, you news, know, this is good weather or bad weather. Understand I, it better and understand why it exists. And I think you'll have a healthier relationship with it. Yeah. Like, I, I started doing that since I started therapy, but now I've gone, like, too far to the point where, like, I can't see wrong in anything anymore. You live in the gray. I'm that guy. I'm that same guy. <laughs> like, People I, get so annoyed I, with I, me. Yeah, like, I sympathize with, like, literally every single person, and I can't... I can no longer see people as bad ever do you also think that that came from you working in an industry that's judged so harshly yes. as well yes I, and i think that's important i think i was a very judgment like i grew up homophobic mm-hmm. until you know and i grew up in a really rough neighborhood so if somebody was gay they weren't coming out mm-hmm. until i met somebody who was gay and i got to see the humanity and just mm-hmm. hear them speak and that changes everything for me um I feel that everybody needs to do something that is frowned upon and Mm. that will gift them an open heart and an open mind not Mm -hmm. to judge other people for doing stuff. I mean, it can go the other way. You know, I've, I've encountered racism from black people. I've encountered racism from gay people, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're like, Hey, we're all, we're all minorities here. Yeah. Yeah. Like we all get picked (laughs) on. Yeah. We're all on the same team here. You know, but sometimes they get into their own pockets of Mm -hmm. comfort where, they no longer deal with discrimination and, and it falls on, mm-hmm. it, 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 they become the oppressor in, in certain mm-hmm. ways. But I think, you know, whether... That happens a lot. I think even with like feminists, like they actually end up being extremely anti-feminist by yeah. being so, identifying so strongly feminist and like... I, I say that to one of my friends who's, who's uh, you know, lives on the West Coast and, and it really pushes a lot of agendas that are labeled feminists. And I was like, look, sometimes you're having certain conversations that just need a smart articulate man in the room and it's really going to they they hold no legs and mm-hmm. you know and i've been fortunate enough to be in certain talks like in me too talks what have you know i'm like hey let me tell you the story about the girl that dumped me because i wasn't aggressive enough mm-hmm. let me tell you the story mm-hmm. about my mother who told me you know when we had the you know we had the phone company digging outside the front of our house and it was a woman doing the digging it was my mother that said to me why is that woman doing a man's job 
mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. me, me being educated enough know that hey yeah most of the, the the victims of the patriarchy end up perpetuating the cycle of it mm-hmm. as victims of sexual abuse end up perpetuating it in the future there's a pattern to this but let's recognize this and let's stop telling men or, or guys or women or anybody that hey the way you've been raised for the last 20 years is just evil and mm-hmm. toxic and wrong and we need you to figure out who you are in the next eight minutes or we're gonna just <laughs> right. judge you right the, you know and instead be like look i get it some you know and this is the porn podcast some girls like to be choked some girls love you know love it gentle mm-hmm. and it's about open communication and having that and figuring mm-hmm. it out and not saying any girl who likes it rough is is you know is lower than a girl who demands it a certain other way. Mm-hmm. It's about personal chemistry. And one woman doesn't speak for all women. One man doesn't speak for all men. Mm-hmm. And it's about having that dialogue. And if you're in a situation where you say this stuff and everybody in the room agrees with you, then you're in the wrong room. Mm-hmm. It's that mm-hmm. same tribalism that exists. Right. We need to be around You people. need to break out of your ecosystem. Yeah. Or, yeah. Steve Jobs said it. He said... Mm. He goes, you know, his neighbor showed him something called a rock tumbler where they just put a bunch of rocks in there and they just tumble. And then after an hour, you pull it out, all the rocks are shiny and, mm-hmm. and, and, and done. He goes, the friction is important. Mm. We need the friction. The problem is right now, everyone's just taking sides. Some people are just completely cynical. Some people are completely hopeful. But we need we need a little bit of cynics. Uh, you know, we need a little bit of cynics. We need a little bit of hopeful people. Mm-hmm. We need both. We need people keeping checks and balances and we mm-hmm. need people dreaming big we need it all we've right. always had it all you know we need people who think trump is a savior we need people who think trump is the devil but most of us need to live in the gray mm-hmm. we need to live in the middle and if you're so hard in your stances then i think you got to realize that your beliefs are not facts your beliefs are just strongly held opinions mm-hmm. facts are things that can be proven facts are things that can be you know related to the scientific method over and over again you can prove it and let's get out of the world of the always and the never mm-hmm. you know there's always something the black and white thinking the black and white thinking yeah. i had to talk with somebody who who works in in political news mm-hmm. and you know they were talking about how certain celebrities aren't using their voice to speak up for you know important causes and mm-hmm. i was like yeah, but Kim Kardashian just got two people out of jail who had extended prison term lengths. Mm-hmm. And she did it with Trump. You know, good mm-hmm, things can mm-hmm. happen from this. That doesn't right. mean they're always good or he's always right. good or everything she does is inspiring. Right. It means she's a normal human being that has inspiring moments, less than inspiring moments. And we can celebrate all right. of that the same way that we Nothing are. Nothing is all good or all bad. Yeah, it, but it's simpler to look at the world that way. Yeah. And that's how media taught us. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the good guys and the bad guys. Mm-hmm. In wrestling, we had the good guys and bad guys. And everything can get wrapped up in 22 minutes. And we have to just recognize that, hey, that's not how the real world works. Right. Yeah. Everyone is good and bad. Everyone is, yeah. Or maybe there is no good and bad. It's like hot mm. and cold. When, do, when does something stop being cold and starts being hot? You know, we're just turning the faucet one way or the other, especially like, you know, in our bathtub. It's their ideas that we've invented. And it's like the same thing with colors, like some different languages have uh, different words for different colors. And in, in English, we say light gray, dark gray, dark blue, you know, and mm-hmm. for other people, it's like navy, fuchsia, mm-hmm, baby, mm-hmm. you know. And I think just being open to that idea and, and it does get overwhelming mm-hmm. and it does make the world a lot more complex. But I think it also helps us have a healthier relationship with reality Mm -hmm. and having that healthier relationship with reality and focusing on where our powers are. We always have power over our attitude. 
we always have power over our effort and we always have power to manage our expectations mm -hmm. of things in life. And that's where I think a lot of people, when they don't want to exercise those powers, if they're afraid to exercise those powers, they lean on how things were in the past. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's pretty much fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. And fundamentalism is anybody who thinks yesterday was better than what we can do tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that can be fundamentalism in sports, whether they want to change the rules in sports. That could be fundamentalism in porn, you know? Mm -hmm. I know porn is going through its shift where it went from mm -hmm. like superstars and high production value to now it yep. looking like people just recorded it on their phone yep. and having literally more, recording it on their phone exactly yeah. and having these you know more of a, a voyeur intimate situation and there might be people from the past who are like shit i'm not making money doing this no mm -hmm. more that stuff is wrong that stuff is mm -hmm. against what porn is supposed to be and yeah they're just holding grasping to a past and right. what we all have to kind of do is step back not judge and just try to understand and be like, right. well, okay, here's where the wave's going. You know, a, a critical million, thinking, critical thinking, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, Snoop Dogg said it 20 years ago. You have to continually reinvent yourself if you want to mm -hmm. stay alive in the entertainment industry. You know, let's go where the wave's at or be cool with making your exit and being like, all right, cool. I had fun during this period. Mm -hmm not really a fan of where it's going so let me get out of mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. and let me move on to other things and, and have a different plan with it and i think right. that's universal advice that applies to everything and anything yeah i think so i mean i think even like intelligence can be measured in like your ability to be a critical thinker yeah. i mean it's and and that's why the book is called you know? unlearn the book is called unlearn because it's about i i realized as i started making improvements in my life that I didn't have to learn anything new. I had to let go of a lot of old ideas. Yeah. I had idealisms like life will be fair. Mm -hmm. um, if I treat somebody kindly, they'll treat me kindly. Mm -hmm. You know, these were expectations yeah. that are kind of taught to us in school. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, and, and I said it in the book, you know, if you stick your hand in the cage of a lion, you know, it's going to bite your arm off mm -hmm. and you can't, feel sorry for yourself even if you're feeding it yeah yeah you can't feel sorry for yourself because mm -hmm. thinking in your head well i wouldn't have bit his arm off right you got to understand the nature of a lion right understand the nature of people if you live in a city that has 20 million people all jammed up into a small space people are going to step on each other right you know it's, that doesn't mean people are evil the value of life is going to be seen as lower because there's so many people here right versus living in a small town where everybody knows each other's names and has more intimate knowledge of each other's humanity mm -hmm. it's definitely going to be a lot different and, and and the nature of things i think is super important uh in siki there's a line it goes uh hokum so my mom taught me hokum means the will of god mm -hmm. whatever god says goes I started to understand hokum as the nature of things. Okay. You know, everything is within the rules of nature. Right. And the nothing, laws of life. The laws of life. You throw a ball up, it's going to fall down, mm -hmm. you know, unless you do something to manipulate that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in some anti-gravity room. And, you know, people are predictable, especially in large groups. Mm -hmm. And if we become students of life and spend more time understanding and learning and less time judging i think when we judge we close ourselves off to a lot of lessons and opportunities and um silver linings that can exist a big you know i have two chapters in the book uh you know inspired by 50 cent mm -hmm. because the one thing he was really good at is finding opportunities and not judging so when he got shot nine times he didn't sit in his hospital room crying feeling sorry for himself mm -hmm. he said how can i capitalize off of this well mm -hmm. The guys who shot me are still looking for me, so now I'm hiding. So now I can build mystique off the fact that I'm hiding. I just increased my, my street credibility. Mm -hmm. 
I have a bunch of music. Let me keep releasing music and just mm-hmm. freak people out. Being like, how does this guy get shot nine times and still got music coming out? Mm-hmm. And he parlayed that into, you know, he's worth eight figures now. And the more I listen to you, like, the more everything is fucking just, like, your mentality. Everything. Yeah. Like, it's... it's but I learned this. I, I didn't come out... The, and that's why I don't want to be a self-help guru. I, I, I hear you. Yeah. After you even defining the word guru, like, I can see why you don't want to be that or labeled as that yeah because i because i do dumb shit with everybody right. else and i want people to know like and yeah you're right by like being called something like that you you're not afforded the yeah opportunities to fuck up right well, well and but i'm ensuring that i am in every interview yeah. and every theft so i and i want it to be where it's like you know because because definitely my my public is uh, you know I, i've become pretty well known in canada mm-hmm. and now i'm getting a lot of mainstream looks in, mm-hmm. in, in the states and I feel like over the next couple of years, I'm going to get more and more popular. Mm-hmm. And with that, I already know I will be put under a bigger microscope. Mm-hmm. But then I look at certain people. I'm like, well, who can I, who do I want it like? And I actually, I feel like the best person right now is Nick Cannon. I feel like he's really. That is so random. Because he, he, he has certain, he's on certain mainstream TV shows, mm-hmm. but he also just says whatever the fuck he wants. Mm-hmm. He kind of does whatever the fuck he's he wants. He's the perfect level of fame. He's the perfect level of fame, but I think he's also really worked on creating an authentic relationship with his core audience where mm-hmm. they get him mm-hmm. so i think i'm doing the same thing with my audiences mm-hmm. where you know what i'm most known for is sh- sharing my story and my vulnerabilities mm-hmm. so if i end up doing something stupid you know mm-hmm. let's say i get drunk and get in fight at a club or something mm-hmm. and now there's like tmz video of the, the security dragging me out mm-hmm. i want my audience to be like yeah that's our humble right let's see what he learns from this he's gonna right. write something epic about what he learned from it right versus being like oh my god like He's he's so better than the character. Yeah, and, and right. even when we had this conversation about being on brand, like whether yeah. doing this podcast is like no, like I'm, I'm literally a regular guy who has who understands the skills putting words together, um, you know, and being afforded the time to think deeply about things. But that doesn't make me, you know, and most people that look like me may come across as like super pious, super judgmental, super all these other things. And so. also, like I, I bet like to bring that full circle like i i bet that's what draw people to you in the first place right that vulnerability and by being a real person rather yeah. than this like untouchable deity of like well, and and that's the irony giving. so my people our histories for the last 500 years is we've never had a safe space mm-hmm. again being minorities out in india standing up to much larger oppressive governments fighting them mm-hmm. um, you know it got to a point where in like the 1700s they would pay you if you brought a guy's head who had a turban and a beard. They were the kings would pay you if you could bring a head. Right. So our options were cut our hair and blend in with everybody else right. or kind of double down, tie brighter turbans, taller right. turbans and kind of be like come get it. And and we took and many of us took that route. Yeah. And it, we kind of got to the point where it would almost be foreign to be in a safe space where you're like, "Whoa, like there's no chaos here. You know, we we we're not standing out. People aren't staring." And what I realized was learning to thrive and not depend on a safe space Mm -hmm. and learning to be prepared, learning to be self-sufficient, self-sustainable and survive certain areas and and own up. Like I've I've been beat up and robbed in New York before. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel sorry for myself for doing it. I paid attention. Like, well, why did I walk through that alley? Why Mm -hmm. was I Mm -hmm. swinging my shopping bag around Mm -hmm. the kids that stole my stuff threw my Canadian cash on the floor? They didn't even Mm -hmm. recognize it. Like these are just kids they're just trying to eat they're not doing this to brag to their friends Mm -hmm. and taking ownership taking Mm -hmm. responsibility and learning from that situation and what i realized is 
really looking at things open-mindedly, people quickly realize that I'm not here to judge them, mm-hmm. and I become a safe space for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just have to be mindful to let them know, like, hey, I, I definitely am a safe space, but I'm not a fan of complainers. I don't mm-hmm. believe in complaining. I don't see the value in it. Personally, I don't vent. Mm-hmm. I don't see, you know, I'm an artist, so I got plenty of places to vent other than the people I care about. They don't need to hear all my shit because mm-hmm. most of them, you know, even the ones that really care about me, they don't have the tools to help me. Maybe a therapist would. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, I don't let people come to me and complain about their lives because I kind of look at it as, look, try not complaining for right. 24 hours and see how the quality of life, you know, will improve. It's an upward or downward oh, spiral. Man, 24 hours without complaining. I don't. So the things with me, two things about me that are, are big is I don't complain mm-hmm. and, and I don't get offended mm-hmm. ever. And I take pride in both of those things. And um, I have given myself complete freedom to literally do whatever the fuck I want to do mm-hmm. as long as I eat the consequences. Because you are free to do as you please. You are not free from the consequences mm-hmm. of those decisions. Mm-hmm. So I've made certain decisions, um, you know, big or small, um, you know, whether it's you know, staying with a friend here and, and sharing their tiny, small Brooklyn room and being like, oh, this is uncomfortable. But, hey, I chose this. I own it. Deal with it. This, right. This is what adults do. Right. Complaining is not going to You're free it. to do what you want. Yeah. I'm, right. free to, I'm free to spend $900 a night in a hotel in Manhattan, right. too, if I wanted. Um, you know, or, you know, simple things, as I said, like, you know, dealing with being violently robbed in New York. That's not an atypical story. That happens mm-hmm. every single day here. Or, you know. You know, quitting my job and having to move back in with my parents for a long time Mm -hmm. because I couldn't afford that and being able to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So I I really believe that people are free to do as they please as long Mm -hmm. as they're willing and open to eat the consequences of whatever those decisions may Mm -hmm. bring them, good or bad. Right. And that's been a huge game changer for me. Um, What it also taught me was that real freedom exists in discipline. It doesn't exist in just being a free a free bird flying wherever you want. Because, you know, in anarchy, in anarchy. Yeah. Because, I mean, when you're a child, you know, especially if you grew up in North America, you dreamed of that day that you had the money and the freedom to like eat McDonald's every Mm -hmm. day. And then as an adult, that's the last thing any of us ever (laughs) want to do because we'll just feel like shit two hours later. Right. So we had to, you know, we're like, hey, uh, there's got to be a level of discipline to actually enjoy this. And if I do it once a month, then I can actually enjoy it. Right, right, right. And every other day, eat the boring, bland food with water. So I can enjoy this. So I'm really kind of learning this when it comes to my money, when it comes to uh, the life I lead, uh, when it comes to even I dreamed about traveling. I travel so much. And now I start to see the, the, the negative side of it or, or, or the, the challenges, um, mm-hmm. eating properly, sleeping mm-hmm. properly, uh, working out, you know, and now I got to the point where it's like, like, I'm tired of, you know, spending $100 for two weeks at Gold's Gym in L.A., mm-hmm just you know where it's just a meat market and everyone's Mm -hmm. just there to pick each other up and all the machines are always taken no and and i mean it's like you said like total freedom or like total anarchy is actually like it's it's like the most pressure ever one and it's it's like the i really do believe that the more choices we have the unhappier we are no one thousand percent there's a good ted talk called the paradox of choice and it's about he said he goes i can't put a number on it but i think the best he goes not enough choices is bad right too many choices is bad he goes maybe he goes he goes i think it's between three and five man i i even might say two two yeah it could I mean, be like it's even the thing of going on seamless and there's too many restaurants to pick from 
you, you, like something as simple as that. It's like if yeah, someone just fl- put food in Netflix, front of my face, I'd be very happy. Yeah. Netflix. All these dating apps. Um, one thousand percent. You know, it's when we grew up, we had like, you know, 28 channels and that was considered too right. much. And that was like. And, and we were and happy we were, watching The Simpsons every day. You know, we were, we were ha- happy. Yeah. And now we're like. Movies two hours. Yeah. Can I make that investment of time? You know, let me go ahead and then yeah. we start to or lean none towards. None of these thousands of titles will do. Yeah, none of them none will of them do. Are good I, enough. I demand you know immediate euphoria on everything. <laughs> yeah. And the only things I'm going to watch now are the things that people are talking about on Twitter, so I don't feel left out. Right. And and I think it's a super interesting idea that is is is, is something we have to continually explore and. Um, I mean, this is actually a question I wanted to ask you related to the porn industry, but a friend said to me, he said, good things happen to people who um, delay gratification, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think about my sister, my sister says to me, you know, she won't watch a movie that's only has one part because she considers it too short. Mm -hmm. She won't read a book that only comes in one volume. She considers that too short. Okay. And I'm like, my friends can't even read books anymore because, you know, we can barely get through that. It's all about the short story now. It's all about, and I mean, and I made my book ADD friendly. Every chapter is only two pages. My books are as well. It's an essay collection. It's an essay collection. You have to, you have to make it and that way people can open it up anywhere they want. Mm -hmm. They don't have to read it in order and, and it makes a difference. But, I started thinking about that. Um, I read an article about the supernormal, mm-hmm. you know, so saying physio- from a physio- physiological perspective, we are pretty much the same creature we were 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. So we're not really designed to eat the type of salt we mm-hmm. eat, mm-hmm. to see certain colors that aren't in nature, like bright reds, or bright, bright, bright yellows. Um, and then, you know, referencing porn as the supernormal. Okay. Because what you see now with, with porn is... Um, um, it, it reminded me of a story so when I was a teacher we had to go to these men's training how to become good male role models because I was teaching in the ghetto kids didn't have good male uh, good role models and one of the questions they asked was when did you know you were a man and the one answer a, a guy gave was he goes the first time I had sex with a woman and I saw a hair on her nipple and I realized oh this is real life this is no longer porn right you know and the idea that... That day he was a man. You know, that's the day I was a man. Yeah. I realized, like, this is... I'm actually seeing what real sex yeah. is going to be like versus, you know, all the, the ideas I created in my head through porn. Right. And I guess it's kind of like... I, I... And I have a chapter in the book called I Met a Girl Once, which is talking all about um, sexual assault and the mm-hmm. fact that our culture is so taboo when it comes to talking about sex mm-hmm. that that creates an environment for sexual predators. Cause, Absolutely. Because you don't educate somebody about sex and having a, a healthy sexual appetite or health, having healthy sexual conversations, you make it easy to sexually assault them and blame them. Of course, And I think yeah. that's completely dangerous. And I guess the question is on the other side, where now things are completely free and you have all the options in the world. You can, you know, me growing up, it was still the blurry channels right, or like the, the one or two sex scenes yeah. on TV. Now it's like, all right. And I, I, was it was it Chris Rock that said it? Chris Rock's like, look, if, if you're not watching the same porn that you were watching two years ago, then you might have an issue. Now you're going deeper and deeper <laughs> into it, you know, where you might have gone down in history as one of yeah. the first Asian Asian porn stars. Now it's like there's an option. Just click Asian and just like, yeah, you can have it any way you want. Yeah. And it's the same thing as Netflix It's the same thing yep. as, you know, like, do you want to watch a nine and a half man um, cream pie gangbang today or yeah. do you want to <laughs> and, and you know themed like Sailor Moon or right. what because it all exists do you think what are you I don't want to I don't want to ask you a question what are your thoughts on this in, as it relates to 
real life and how on the other side and, and, and answer it any way you want honestly but how do you feel like because I never thought I'd have a conversation with a, little, with, a, <laughs> with a real porn star and how do you do you feel like that has any impact on people's relationship with reality or expectations of sex expectations of especially sex especially kids maybe I mean I'm not you even know, kids people in general I think I think it's exactly what you said. I think that we're so uneducated when it comes to sex that we treat porn like sex education. Mm. And I think it's the thing of like where if, if sex were normalized, which is crazy that we even have to say that because sex is the most normal thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Like it's how we're all here. It's, it's one of the few things we're born to do. Eat, sleep, eat, sleep, fuck. Right. Um, maybe shit, maybe, you know, piss, but like it, so I think if it were norm, more normalized to talk about sex and if we could grow up knowing more about sex and it wasn't this big mystery, it wouldn't be a question of um, we wouldn't have to watch a gangbang, for example, and think all women want that or this is only fantasy and no woman wants it. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, I do think we're in a place in the world right now where, like, I think people do, it does skew with people's expectations of sex. I think a lot of boys are growing up now thinking anal is on the menu, you know, and on a Tuesday, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, in daylight. We should rename the podcast anal on a Tuesday. Anal on a Tuesday. <laughs> but like, but I think kids are growing up that way. Yeah. And I think that's because we're not making it easy for them to talk about sex. And, and what about adults? Like, what about, as I say, going back to the gratification mm-hmm. idea, like, all right, I can make myself presentable, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and, and I always tell people this, I don't think looks matter, but I think presentation matters. Mm-hmm. You know, I can make myself presentable. I can develop social skills and mm-hmm. I can talk to, to, to a woman or a man, depending on your preference, mm-hmm. and I can get laid. Mm-hmm. Or I can go on the website go through my endless menu, get off. Right. And now go back to whatever else I was doing. Right. Like from that perspective as well, because it's, it's instant gratification. It is. Um, it's not delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know, because is anything ever going to beat like actual human interaction? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I have a, yeah, because I just, I mean, I know a couple of friends that are like, um, better I'm, off like jerking off to porn. Well, I mean, I, from both sides of the spectrum. So yeah. I, I remember, um, I went to Amsterdam years ago for a bachelor party. And then, you know, we took a walk into the red light district mm-hmm. and the singlest of all the guys, you mm-hmm. know, this is very, you know, just levels of being single yeah. these days. Yeah. He was the, he was one of the guys who didn't partake. Okay. In the red light district. And I said, you were probably the one guy who could get away with this. And right. no one's going to say anything. You're the most you. eligible. Yeah. You're the most eligible. And he's like, he goes, what is this shit? He goes, he goes, he goes the fun is the hunt. Like, the fun right. is... He goes, what is this? He right. Goes, he goes, why would, I, why would anybody want to do, do this? But do people still feel that way? Does the next... Does the generation being raised right now feel that way? Well, and that's, that's what I'm asking. And, I'm, and I'm, I guess I'm, 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 I'm asking you from the perspective of, like, how do you feel... How do you feel about that being... Part, I mean, again... Mm-hmm. I would ask the same thing to somebody who works at McDonald's. Like, how do you feel about the fact right. that your stuff is cheaper, easier, and convenient than It also makes Whole me wonder, like, from what you were saying earlier, you know, y- you said the way you started everything was to get girls. To get girls, yeah. Right? 
so is this new age of Tinder and porn and instant gratification, is that going to kill all creativity in the future? If there's no motivation to be creative, like, because I really do believe, like, I think, I would say most things in the world get started because to impress, you know. To get laid. To get laid. Yeah, 100%. That's why we're here. Yeah, that's why we're here. Yeah. Like, I, I do think, like, in the most, like, inherent way, we are doing everything to get laid. Yeah. So if it's that easy and if there is, you know, just porn and instant gratification, is that going to cease to exist? Well, I mean, I think it'll probably, you know, I mean, and this is not a porn related conversation, but I met, I met this, uh, this, this young kid who was, who was really bright and really smart. And his mother is, is, is a world famous scientist and mm-hmm. he has access to like, if he has a question about like, he, had, he told me, he goes, I had a question about Tesla's and I asked my mom if if Tesla's is good for the environment, what about the factories? And my mom's like, all right, let's call up Elon Musk and ask him. And so this kid has access to this. Right. So after hearing his story, he was 12, and he taught me a bunch of things in this conversation I had with him, and I just said to him, listen, if you can make eye contact with human beings and pick up the phone and talk to them and talk to them face-to-face instead of text messaging them, you will be our supreme overlord, and I will welcome you because everything you are is, is wonderful. Right. So I feel like... I look at, so sometimes when I do look at the idea of porn or the Tinders or what have you, it's like, hey, this takes, the, this, this is the short-term gratification that takes the, the long-term rewards away mm-hmm. from having certain types of socially conditioned people. Because there are guys who probably are like, yo, I, was, I had a good 60% success rate at the bar, so now Tinder, Tinder is just making life a lot easier. I'm going to kick game there. Right. But eventually it might just be like, there is no game. Now it's like, you're available and you know yeah. your, your finally face-tuned image right now looks appealing we'll keep the lights down low and let's just get it over with and yeah. move on but you know and i mean there's also stories in between i have i have a friend who's married with two kids now and that started as a one-night stand like yeah and that was you know but that was my marriage started off as a one-night stand you know and so. that was in the was it in the analog world like you met them yes. as a yeah so i mean it was pre-cell phones there you go and yeah. i think that's i think there's, there's a beauty in that and i guess mm-hmm. just kind of I thought it was really interesting when you started to realize that, hey, like, porn is starting to remind me of YouTube videos where people are manufacturing authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's people are people are craving authenticity. Well, I think porn was manufacturing authenticity way before YouTube. I mean, I, I think no? about that super bad. Uh, the, the, the conversation they were having about some sort of like about porn and how. One, you know, they talked about production value. They really liked production value. And now it seems like, produ- I know, because I have a lot of friends on YouTube, like I know millionaires who are using shitty cameras mm-hmm. because that's what keeps that authentic raw feel. I, I think yeah. I, I Maybe I guess it's I evolved authenticity. It's, or evolved back. <laughs> evolved back, Right, yeah. because like, I, I think it used to be really shitty production and then got better and better and better and then 4K. Yeah, gotcha. And then now it's going back down. Everyone's like, nobody and wants to see no, that, that much detail. No, f- first of all, definitely no. I don't understand why porn is ever in HD. Yeah. Like, I think only nature shows and sports. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anything else needs to be in HD. Nothing needs to be in that ultra I, HD. I don't want to see my favorite movie stars. I don't even in that. watch. I don't even watch movies in like the ultra HD. Yeah. Like I think it looks super weird. Like it I'm does. watching them through a window or through something. A win- yeah. It doesn't feel good. Uh, yeah. It you're feels right. cheaper. It weirdly. Does. It actually does. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like even for now, like all the porn I'm shooting, like I just shoot myself on my phone, and I find that that's like what 
makes me actually more money now. <laughs> yeah, it's become a lot more efficient. It's way more. I'm making more money now in porn than I ever have, and I'm just shooting myself like real life stuff, very underproduced. Yeah, and you also like you guys hardly are in, any makeup, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, and people and I, are you basing this off like feedback? Like how do you guys just comment I'm, and just how much money I'm making and, and yeah, and feedback, it's, you know, it's definitely a different era now yeah. for sure. Um, which is kind of encouraging because it's a little bit less, um, it's a little bit more human interaction than for, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It is watching real people. It is, you do get to interact like with your favorite porn stars now. So that, and people are more invested in you. Yeah. yeah. So that's a little bit less, um, like kind of what we were saying before, it's a little bit less in that direction. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit more humanizing. Okay. And are there like elements of the industry that still need a lot of work that you feel like, hey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we're not unionized. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, for such an old industry. And uh, I mean. Do you, do you have your own productions as well outside of you? Like, do you hire actors, actors and actresses yourself? Um, no. Okay. No. I don't. Because I've seen that in entertainment, but I, I, I it's, it's super interesting. It's kind of like one day you work at the fast food restaurant, the next day you're the manager, and then all of a sudden your opinion on things change. So now yeah. I have certain friends who are like, oh, I tried to do this, but everyone's unionized and it's so <laughs> expensive. And I was like, yeah, it's expensive, but once upon a time, you that union protected your ass. <laughs> yeah. and, and but in, in porn, everyone's the manager now. Everyone's or the or manager. everyone's like, everyone's their own brand and their own product it's becoming less and less you don't need to shoot for big studios anymore like okay. that's and i think same with youtube right like yeah. same well i think, I think youtube's going the other channel. way i think youtube's going from like the ultra authentic to the manufacturer authenticity uh-huh. and then it got a little too big and people started working with like a-list celebrities yeah and now people are, are kind of being like okay this is too much we need we need the rawness again right and now i think something else might just pop up and youtube might just turn into like an nbc or something right yeah. I, it looks like yeah so maybe we're taking separate or opposite directions yeah i think i, I just think i would just thought it was just an interesting idea like it's just like whoa like this the level of convenience to this, I'm, I'm wondering what the like the, the implications are. And I'm not looking at it from like a moral standpoint. I'm looking mm-hmm. at it from like a what necessary skills and talents I had to develop as, as a heterosexual male to get laid mm-hmm. that maybe the next guy won't have to if you can just yeah, go I, up on that. I wonder. We're, we're definitely in a weird place right now where like... Yeah. I mean, maybe it's good. Maybe this, this will reduce our population growth and... Yeah, you know. maybe. I mean, it looks that way. A lot of countries are like starting to become very asexual. Yeah, I Japan. heard like teenage, even here, like, teenage sex has gone down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you thought about what people said 20 years ago, like they made it sound like everyone would be having sex yeah. with their kids. And like now everyone's can't even make eye contact. Yeah, talk to each it's other. true. It's yeah. true. I mean, I, I wonder what's even going to be considered like a strong, like strong people skills or like. I feel like normal people future. skills is going to be that. Like my, my friends who are, and I mean, New York's a beautiful place for that too. Cause like every era that's ever existed still exists. Like there's guys out here dressed like it's 1991. And these are probably guys that are still like, just walk, you know, walking up to girls and like, Hey baby girl, come <laughs> out here. Give me your number. I always think about like, <laughs> it's no literally that, yeah. but like, I, I think it's so funny to think about like the guy that went to, I mean, not funny, but the guy that went to prison, like maybe, 20 years ago and yeah. is out now like the world is such a different place they it probably is. look at an iphone like what the fuck everyone's on social media yeah tinder like 
the world is so different. It's yeah, like a different planet. It's, I, I always think about Snowden. I'm just like, man, you, you fought so hard for people's privacy to protect it not realizing that people were going to trade it. Or, or we're giving it up. It. We're willing. Yeah. yeah. There, there was a great film I just saw at Tribeca called I Am Human, and it, and it followed three people who now have computers in their brains. So one is a person with a visual impairment, so it helps them see. One is a woman with Parkinson's. It helps slows down the, the, the challenges that mm-hmm. Parkinson's give. And one was a guy who was a tetraplegic, so he can only move from the chest up. Okay. And that helped him move his arm. Okay. So he was just starting that. And they're talking about now, like, thinking about privacy of our lives and how much we share already, once we start having these devices in our brains, they'll be able to read our thoughts. Oh my God. And most likely it's not going to scare anybody because people will trade their thoughts for convenience. Like we trade our privacy for followers and likes and we built an economy around it. Yeah. And you know, the, the smartest of us. And it's not even it like a, it doesn't even feel like a compromise. Like yeah. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. We're like, yo, people. Yeah. <laughs> once in a while you're like, oh shit, I posted a picture of, you know, my significant other or my parents. and I got so many likes or I told people I had a bad day today and they love like vulnerability is currency now. Yeah. And we used to have that with friendships. Like the more you share with your friend, the, deep, the mm-hmm. deeper the connection gets. Now it's like, let me just share it with these random people mm-hmm. on the internet when they scroll through and you're like, shit, when they put this stuff in our brains, in the beginning, we might have that conversation, but eventually it'll be like, hey, think happy thoughts, you know, yeah. you'll, you'll get rewards. And, um, you know, that film was a lot, was on the positive side of it. It's like, hey, can we make a film that's the opposite of Black Mirror and keep right. people enthusiastic? Because this is helping people live normal lives as well. And they said there's 100,000 people right now that have computers implanted in their brains on some level. Right. And in the next 10 years, it's going to go up to a million. Oh, my God. And you're like, this is helping people walk. This is helping people, whatever. They go, but eventually, it won't be about helping people with disabilities. It'll be about taking people who are just fine and then making them super normal. Yeah. And then you're wondering, like, it's, it's funny. My friend used to work. Who, who did he work? He used to work in apps when, like, phone, like, the old school flip phones had apps. Mm-hmm. And he worked for a porn company. I'm not sure which one it was. And he kept telling me, he's like, listen, if you ever want to follow technology, always follow porn. You're always the first to adapt technology, you know, VR, all this type of stuff. And I think that's true. And I think it also goes a step further and they'll tell you what fails. What fails, exactly. Like, I think from porn, we've learned VR is really not there yet. (laughs) But when they plug that computer in your brain and now you can get off without touching yourself... Like, yeah, I mean, certain things, it's going to get really, really But I think that goes back to the, the whole thing of, like, everything is to get laid. Everything is to get laid. Like, that's, that's well, the Mother first Nature and made last it, thing yeah. we want. Mother Nature's like, look, you're, you're useful to me for your fertile years. Yeah. And I'll make it very fun. Right. Go ahead and procreate. And that's it. And that's it. <laughs> that's give the me, whole point. Give me more. Right. You know, and I'll continue feeding you and let's just keep doing it. And, yeah. Uh, I think it's a super it's a super interesting idea and just everybody involved in the ecosystem of it mm-hmm. how they contribute to it and I just think it's a and, and it's all a wave. It's not like us having opinions on what porn is doing to to young men and women right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a good quote I read it was um you know the most unrealistic expectations in the world for men come from porn and the most unrealistic expectations for, for women, women come from movies? Disney, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, Disney and porn that, yeah. are the ones that make these, you know. So, now, he's going to be, you know, my 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 Prince Charming, and she's going to be my insatiable whore. Right. You know? And it's right. like, it, it's all living in the ultras. Right. You know, living on each end of the spectrum. And being like, no, there's going to be days where she's super horny and days that she doesn't want you to touch her and right. she feels gross. 
And there's going to be days that he treats you like a queen and days that he's going <laughs> to be rubbernecking at every other girl on the street. Right, it's right, a, right. It's a, it's a really interesting idea to kind of explore. And I guess I'm, 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 I'm grateful that I'm, I, I guess, past it. I mean, I remember the time before. So I can, I can yeah. at least see the value of it. And in a lot of ways, I think the time before it was simpler. Yeah. It was easier. It was for easier. sure. Yeah. It's easier to like be like, oh, I'm a girl. I feel like this. You know, I'm yeah. a boy. I should feel like this. Like yeah. that's, but I think this is more rich. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it, it is rich. And, and, and again, the invention of the ship was the invention of the shipwreck. You know, it helped mm-hmm. people. It also hurt people. And that's, as I said, going back to the original conversation, every, we, we're, we will always live a life of problems. Mm-hmm. Just some of us. I love that. Fortunate. I think the mentality of like, there's always going to be shit. That's a good mentality. To there have. will, there will always be shit. And anybody that told you that there won't be shit yeah. is probably selling you something. Because so. it's true. We do live trying to get rid of the shit, but yeah. that's not the point. And this is why I can't be a self-help guru. Cause I feel like a lot of them do promise you a life without shit. Right. And they articulate a life without shit. <laughs> and I'm like, look, definitely buy my book. My book is not going to give you all the answers, but it will definitely make you start asking the right questions. Yeah. And it will set you up on your own journey. Cause as a teacher, I was taught to teach myself out of a job. Mm-hmm. So my job isn't to promise you a bunch of stuff and then keep you hanging mm-hmm. and then make you want to get the rest. My job is look, my, I believe everybody should be sharing their story. Mm-hmm. I believe it's our mm-hmm. responsibility. We, mm-hmm. You know, our ancestors wrote stuff on caves for other people to learn from. They didn't ask, oh, well, am I qualified to draw in right. this cave? Am I, who, who am I to share right. my story? It's, yeah, not everybody's going to get a big publishing deal like I did, mm-hmm. but that only came after five years of independently mm-hmm. publishing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and pretty much the book did it. I didn't push the book after I released it. Mm-hmm. I had it. As my music and my other art got more popular, people figured out I wrote a book. Mm-hmm. And in Canada, they, they purchased the rights to the book. It became a bestseller. Then the States took notice. They purchased it. And right. then when it dropped out here, it became a bestseller. So from, from it, the book has its own legs. And people are just giving it bigger trampolines to bounce off of. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to enjoy the ride. And all the money I make from the book, I'm just putting it back into my other art. You know, right. I've, I'm, I'm used to being a minimalist. and A true creative. Yeah. And I have a lot of artist friends who, who give me clothes. I wear my friend's clothes. My mom made me these jeans. Oh, I, that's so cute. Yeah, these are just H&M jeans. My mom was making fun of... Uh, um, distressed jeans. Yeah. She's like, why would people waste money Your on that? jeans have like holes in them. If yeah, I'm, I'm wearing distressed jeans. But what it was is I, I, sh- I challenged my mom to, to do it. I'm like, if you think this is easy, here's a YouTube video on how to do it. Here's a fresh pair of jeans that I just bought from H&M. Can you put the word love? She did a really good job. Yeah, oh. so it says love. I, I've, I've worn them out now, but it actually says oh, love. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so I wear these because my mom made them for yeah. me. You know, and you'll probably see me wearing these all the time, but I'm a mama's boy. I love my mom, so... <laughs> And yeah, and then I actually, and I'm, I'm going to give you one of these, actually. This is one of oh, my, cool. my t-shirts right here. Child of an immigrant. Oh, that's awesome. It yeah. says child of an immigrant. It says child of I'll an immigrant. So I, I do, I just, I, I just yeah. create art. And now, um, you know, the success of this book has put me in a position to just keep creating art and yeah. sharing stories and, and, and putting into words what I know other people wish they could do. Because this, yeah. this is what I do. And I guess... We should wrap it up. We should wrap it up. But, no, thank you so much for having thank me. Thank you so much. It. You know what? I end the podcast with the same 10 questions. It's, okay. They're the questions from Inside Actors Studio. Okay. I don't know if you know that show. Um, but it's just kind of like the first thing that comes to mind. No explanation necessary. Just the quickest, shortest answer you Let's can give. Let's do it. What is your favorite word? Shit. Um, 
it's this word that I like using and I always forget it. It's, and it's a simple English word that always just slips the top of my, my mind. Um, when you're put on the spot. Well, no, even when I try to use it in a sentence. But it's, 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 uh, it's not consolidate. It's the other one. When you have to come to terms with something. Um, Compensate? No, it's a... Uh, Compromise? No, like uh, like we have to come to terms with the fact that we have this racism in America, and we have to I have to come back to that word. Okay, it's we'll it's a word that it. I need to use a lot, and I never get to use, and it's <laughs> it's such an important word. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's your favorite. Yeah. What is your least favorite word? Uh, my least favorite word is probably um. Bored. I don't think people have the right to be bored. What turns you on? Uh, I'm definitely a sapiosexual, so um, confidence and, and learning new things, um, and definitely comedy because I think comedy is a, a mixture of honesty and intelligence. What turns you off? Complaining. What's your favorite curse word? My favorite curse word, um, probably fuck. What sound or noise do you love? That's a really good one. Um, Lauren Hill's voice. <laughs> what sound or noise do you hate? High-pitched shrieking, I guess. Maybe whether it's a baby crying or somebody else. <laughs> Anything in that arena? Anything in that arena. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Firefighting. What profession would you not like to do? Politician. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Pick a project and get to work. Because <laughs> it keeps on going. It keeps on going. <laughs> you ha you'll have to like text me that word if you think of it. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's, we have to, it's not, cons shit. It's all, we have to, it's, it, it means come to terms. Like we have to, um, I mean, should I just look, look up the thesaurus for that? Uh, come to terms, thesaurus. Yeah. Uh, it's not consolidate. Um, it's that idea. I'm shit. looking it up too. Come to terms, synonym. my horrible Canadian data. I'm looking it up. I'm going to start with an R. Reconcile? Reconcile. That's the word I never... That's a hard... I know what you mean. That is a hard one to remember. There are so many times that I need to use that word reconcile. And I Maybe always that's your next it. tattoo. Reconcile? <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, uh, somebody just bought a pair of headphones and... Uh, they're like, what, what side, what side do, does the button on? I'm like, the left side. And I watched them like make the L with their left hand. Ah, and, put on so their, and, they're, and they're 30. And I'm like, that's the most adorable thing ever. I always remember I got this bracelet on my right hand. That's how I always remember right. <laughs> that's reconcile, reconcile. Oh, that's, reconcile. That's the word. It doesn't even sound like a pretty word. I just, I just need it in my life. I, just, I feel like anytime I want to sound smart. Reconcil reconcile. Yeah. We got to reconcile a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that's It sounds pretty word. official. It does, doesn't it? <laughs>
<laughs> like, I, I trust that person, whoever says Anybody it. Anybody who says reconcile yeah. deserves a little bit more credit. Like, you're right. We do need to reconcile. Yeah. Whatever it is. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much um, for having me, man. And everyone, go buy the book, Unlearn. Um, yes, Unlearn 101 Simple Truths. And where can they find you on social? Uh, at Humble the Poet. I'm, I'm on Instagram. Twitter, Your Instagram's so stuff. good. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Humble. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye.